Hey, welcome to the 331st episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is a podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic book. Big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional... 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And uh, just this past week, I did an off my mind about how, about the passing of time in comics. Like, should we have specific mentions of, like, this is a year, five years, or three months, and, and so forth. Uh, previous, uh, I've been doing X-Men The Hidden Years by John Byrne, so we're about to wrap up that series, do the last couple issues. Um, and sometimes I talk about older movies and just weird stuff like that. But... If you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gmanfromheck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. That's ko-fi.com slash gmanfromheck. So, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, Happy New Year. I uh, hope you're happy holidays, all that, that stuff. Hope you you had a, a great time, great week. Have a great year coming up and, and everything. Uh, what is going to happen on this show? So the main feature, the movie, fe- quote-unquote movie feature, is going to be uh, Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire. Yeah, so I, I did that. I debated about you know, whether I was going to go see Ferrari. Uh, be perfectly honest, I really don't know what Ferrari is about. I'm assuming it's about the car. Is it is it a biopic, biopic, biopic on the dude who created joe ferrari <laughs> who made the ferrari i don't know uh something like that i think adam driver's in the movie i really don't know anything about it which is, is kind of crazy considering I, I go to the movie that i go to theaters every week i've not seen a single trailer for it and, and and yeah i can easily go to youtube and search a trailer but the fact that it never showed in theaters and i think the only the only reason i may i think Adam Driver's in there. I think in my Instagram feed, it might have been Hollywood Reporter or Rolling Stone or some, one of the, the the news accounts that I follow did an interview with him and, and asked him like if he drives fast or something like that. Uh, but I really don't know anything about the movie. I don't know if it's fictional. I'm assuming it's it's not. So I didn't go see that. I decided, uh, well, I'll just do it. I saw Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon and you can hear all about that later. Oh, we're also going to wrap up Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. So I watched the final episode, which kind of, I mean, it was very satisfying. I enjoyed it, but I'm, I'm kind of bummed that that's it. It's over. We got more uh, Monarch Legacy of Monsters. I'm still not caught up. We got uh, the third episode of Percy Jackson and Olympians. Um, we got Doctor Who special. I guess it's, I don't think it's a special. I, I, say, I don't know if it's the next season because I, according to Disney Plus, they're calling it Special Four. But on IMDb, which is all messed up if you were trying to find anything about Doctor Who, like the listing in there, I think they're calling it Season 14, Episode 0. So maybe it's because it's a, the Christmas Day special, but you have all that. So I, I think that's going to be it. Uh, it doesn't look like we're going to have Reacher. And I'm still sort of lost. I still, I still haven't actually watched any of it. I really, really, really want to watch that. And uh, I, I think it just it might not make it for the podcast. I haven't had anyone say, hey, yeah, I want to hear about that. So maybe I just don't do that. You know, looking at what's coming up, you know, we got Scott Pilgrim leaving, you know, since this is the last week. 
So I'll have to figure out maybe, I don't know what, what's going to happen next week. But uh, let's get into the news. Not a, a whole lot of news. Um, really not a whole lot of news because of the, the holiday season and everything, everything going on. But, you know, speaking of, of Scott Pilgrim before, you know, as, as I, I mentioned last week, it's like, I, yeah, I would love for there to be another season. And I, I think, I think it's really possible based off of how this season went, how this, this series was, because it's not the movie. It, it took on a life of its own and everything. You know, we'll, we'll talk about the final episode in, in just a little bit, in about, a, about an hour or so. Uh, but it does wrap up the story. You know, there's, you, you know, you'd have to figure out, well, what, what are they going to talk about next? You know, there, there's a couple things that are set up. You know, you, you could easily go in there, but all of the, the main pieces have been resolved, it seems like. It's almost like trying to do a second season might be pushing it unless they, you know, they had some big ideas. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they can do it. I mean, this whole season was just completely like off the rails, you know, different. So I, I think it could be done. We'll have to see. But Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh, she was talking, I think it was with Collider. She said that, you know, she'd be willing to do another season. Uh, and, and she thinks that they all would be happy to do that because they all like really love the characters. Obviously she can't speak for everyone else. And I would hope if it ever came down to it, there wouldn't be like a negotiation to hold off. Like someone's like, well, I'm not going to do it unless you pay me more. I would hope that they'd all be like united kind of, you know, like, you know, just get paid the same uh, unless you have a bigger role. I don't know. But she's saying that, you know, it, it, it sounds like, you know, if, if it did happen, it wouldn't be anytime soon. And, and she's talked about how, you know, it was like 10 years and, you know, maybe it'd be another 10 years and they'd come back and, you know, depending on what's been developed or I don't know. So there's hope, but, but who knows? <laughs> Speaking of Zack Snyder, so we got Rebel Moon, everything. And, uh, he, he talked about the, the director's cuts. So with this, I'm a little confused how all this is going to work out. So, that, you know, what we have out now is Rebel Moon Part 1. And there's going to be a Part 2. But, correct me if I'm wrong, I, th I think there's going to be an extended version of Part 1. And there's, it's, which is going to be different from Part 2. And I just, I don't understand why. You know, you know so Zack Snyder said how he's kind of become known for doing the director's cuts you know he 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 does the studio version and then he kind of walks away and then when it comes to dvd which he mentioned which i, I think is kind of funny you know, he's like you know well if you give me some some more money I, I can do like the weirdo version of this and then you can sell it again which seems kind of crappy i mean i, mean, I, I guess in a way it, it is smart in some way you know trying to make some more money off of it but it, it's one thing that if, if there's, I mean, my, my thought on directors, because I always felt like, you know, all this stuff was filmed and then the studio comes or like, okay, it's too long or this scene, you know, was, was too this or not enough of this. We need to tweak this or maybe we need to reshoot this because this didn't make sense or the audiences aren't going to like this. You know, they'd rather see this character go over here and do this. So it always felt like the difference between the studio cut and the director's cut were just little things like that where, you know, the director may have their vision. But then because of the consensus of the director in the studio and, and all the money makers, you know, it, it's debatable, you know, who has, who should have the final say, you know, yes, if you're paying this director, you're entrusting them to know what's going on. But at the same point, you know, I'm, and I'm not just talking about Zack Snyder here, any director, they might have a singular, you know, like a, they might have the blinders on, they might think that they know, like, this is what needs to be done. But then the studio needs to look at, well, hey, that's great. That's cool. 
we can't really market that. And if we can't market it, if we can't get people to go and see it, we're going to lose like all this money. Sometimes, you know, the money makers need to be consulted. They need to be involved because, you know, they, while they may not know the intricacies of actually making a movie, they might know how to get people into the theaters to see it and, you know, what, what, what needs to be done or what, what's missing and, and so forth. But if Zack Snyder's saying, okay, here's the movie, now if, if we're going to want to make a direct, quote-unquote, director's cut, we need to do some more filming and do this. To me, that's not a director's cut. That's like that's almost like a, like a 1.5, you know, where you're, you're just adding to it, which I, I think that's kind of ridiculous in a way because then uh, why not just call it that? And, and, you know, you can't call it a director's cut. I, I, I don't know. I guess it's just by your definition. So I just think that that's kind of silly. And... If he's known for this, with you know, this is Netflix we're talking about. So I, I'm I'm really curious how much control he had over the production, over the, the completion of Rebel Moon. You know, I, I would think it would be like when Netflix is wooing him, you know, trying to make this deal. He he probably said, "I want to have this much control and and so forth." So I'm sure he knows what needs to be done. And unless Netflix is like, "Hey, we want to limit it to two hours." So, you know, we have to do that. But I can't see them doing that because if this is Netflix we're talking about, why would they need to limit it when, you know, they release eight episode series or 10 episode series, you know, all at once. So you're, you're essentially talking like an eight hour production. Yeah. You know, so w- why couldn't they have this Rebel Moon Part 1 be two and a half hours or be three hours or four hours? So it just seems ridiculous that it's like, okay, here's an incomplete movie. And now you need to see, I should save this for the end, talk about this, because this is like taking over the news. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that. <laughs> Just remind me, don't don't let me lose my train of thought. Um, speaking of, of directors, James Gunn, he's, uh, you know, he, he, he's, he's very vocal. And I know he's, he's tried to cut back a little bit because, you know, he doesn't want to give out too much and everything but he did address like about the superman legacy costume because you know i i think someone asked like what are the chances we're gonna see it anytime soon or something like that and and he or like before production starts and he's like 0.004 percent or something like that so he said that we're not going to see it before and it goes into production i think it was march 2024 is when when superman legacy starts production so he's saying that we're not going to see it, but then someone responded to like, we already know what, what Superman costume looks like. And he's like, do you? And he's like, trunks are no trunk, which is, is a big thing. And, you know, he said how that's always been like a, a big debate, you know, whether, you know, it, it's not so much about the characters or people really like focus on should there be trunks or no trunks. And, and, and so we'll have to wait and see, but you know, who knows what, 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 what. and I, I mean, there are different versions. And when you look at, Christopher Reeve, and and I, I just hope that they don't. I, I mean, it's, it's going to be kind of tricky because when you look at Christopher Reeves, it looks very, very spandexy, you know, whatever. And I guess that's kind of how it should be. But then when you look at uh, Man of Steel, I just don't get all the little like scale things. Like, what is the purpose of that? The texture, I don't know. I mean, is there some purpose? We'll see. James Gunn also shut down some uh, rumors on the Batman. So apparently there was a rumor that Professor Pig and Scarecrow were joining Clayface Hush and Dick Grayson 
And the, the source, I, I don't know if I should mention the source because I feel like I shouldn't be giving, you know, put, putting the name out there. But at the same time, it's also shutting down the source. The, the source was uh, Daniel RPK or something like that. I think that's what it was. And James Gunn replies like, nope, totally made up. I, I don't understand why someone would make... Because that, that seems a lot. If you're talking, okay, you got a Batman sequel. But if you're going to have Professor Pig, Scarecrow, Clayface, and Hush, you're going to have four villains in one movie. That That's a lot. And then Dick Grayson, maybe. But I, I don't... I mean, if you're... I don't know. So I, I just thought that was funny. He's like, nope. And, and why do people do that? I mean, what's the point of making up something so absurd... Because if, if I saw that, so now for me, and I won't mention the name again because I'm not trying to roast anyone or anything like that. But to me, that says like, okay, and, and maybe this, this person just got the facts wrong. You know, maybe they had a source and maybe the, the, this whatever anonymous source just did them wrong and just totally got it wrong. I just, I, I, I feel like I've gone on about that so many times. I just, I don't understand. Because it, it, if people are, are making stuff up, what is the point? You're going to get a little bump in traffic, and then people, especially when it's something like this, if you're in, where, where someone like James Gunn will go out of his way and say, "No, this is complete BS," that's you know that's killing your credibility. I feel like if you say something about Marvel or whatever, it, it takes like a while for that to be confirmed that it's not true because Kevin Feige doesn't necessarily always go out and confirm or deny you know he's not going to confirm something it just seems silly but if you're if you do have a legit source and they got it wrong i i guess that makes sense and then uh the last bit of news so see i said there wasn't a whole lot is uh disney is remind disney plus wants to remind marvel fans to change the parental settings if you want to watch echo because i think that's is that this week i forget if it's the fourth or the tenth or something echo's coming up soon and if your settings aren't set at the at the mature whatever adult settings, you're not even to see it listed. So I'm I'm assuming that's how it works. It's like it's it's non-existent. It's not going to be like oh here's this you know mature rated you know vi super violent thing. It's like you can't watch it. You got to ask mom and dad. I I don't know. I mean, yeah. It just seems like why would you even list it if if you don't want anyone to see that? So um, thankfully you don't have to worry about any parental settings on this podcast. <laughs> Because, <laughs> uh, but anyways, that's the segue, segue, poor segue. That's going to be the news for the week. All right, with comic books at Image Comics, there was Tenement Number Seven, and this issue. Uh, so first of all, you got to read this series because uh, I'm I'm going to do a horrible job explaining it. And it's Jeff Lemire, Andrea Sorrentino, and it's just it's such a freaky, weird book. And, you know, the combination of, of Jeff's writing and Andrea's uh, art, it's just, it's such a weird vibe. And this issue, what when I was starting to read it, it's like, I'm like, wait, what, what ha- did I forget what happened the last issue? Because it, it's, it's like, it's out of the tenement. There's some weird stuff happening in this, this tenement building. And it actually goes back like some, some years back and it's like nowhere even close. And then you see, it's like, oh, wait. Because this this dude, he's basically like a private, you know, d- investigator following this woman, and then she ends up going to the tenement. So that's how where the tenement story comes in. And you know, he the, the guy, he, uh, I don't I don't think I'm saying too much, but basically, you know, he's he's his client thinks his wife's cheating on him and everything. So he, you know, he's been following this lady and everything, and she goes to this, this tenement. And then what happens from there? Then you realize, I was like, oh, wait, because they, they say his name. And if I, you know me, I'm horrible with, with people's names. 
you realize that it's like, oh, this, I think now that I, I don't even know if I know, remember the guy, I think the guy's name was Felix. I could be totally wrong about that, but they say his name earlier. And I was like, oh wait, that's dude, that dude, this is like flashback to his life before he came to the town. Why is he, li- now he's living there? It's, 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 uh, it kind of has, and I, I'm hesitant to say this, but it kind of has lost vibes. And I mean that, and now here's the thing, I love the show lost. I know some people are like, Oh, it sucked or this or that, whatever. I, I, I just, I love that show so much, so, so much. One of my favorite all time shows, say what you will about that or say what that will about me, whatever. So there's just kind of some vibes like that where it, it it's sort of like that where it's something weird is happening here. And then you get like the flashback story. So, so whether that was intentional or not, probably not, but that, that's just what it made me feel like. And it just, it was just really cool. So um, but yeah, the tenement is, is freaky. I'll just say that. So you, you, I'm not even gonna try to explain it. I've talked about it every week or every month. So, uh, oh, I just realized uh, Duke number one came out. I, I didn't read that. So um, I, I, I'll have to read that and, and comment about that. And uh, be totally honest, I don't even know what continuity that's in. I'm assuming it's not in the, the Larry Hama. I don't even remember who, who's who's writing this, uh, but I, I I don't think it's Joshua. I, I, my gut wants to say Joshua Williamson because I feel like he's doing everything, at like he's writing everything at DC and everything at Image, but or at Skybound. Uh, but maybe I could be wrong with that. I'm I'm really curious to you know what what are they gonna do with this and you know is is this what's gonna be the same? What's gonna be different? Because we've seen some different versions of the the GI Joe characters. And you, you, they, you, know, you, you kind of can't change too much. And it feels like in the past when they have, it's been a little questionable. And, and I don't know if it's just because I'm just, you know, hardcore Larry Hama and, you know, or what was on the, the classified cards on the back of the action figures. I don't know. Edenwood number three. So this is a Tony Daniel comic. And, and this is, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I, I almost get distracted by this comic because I feel like it's just so ambitious. There's like all these characters, all this world, and there's like stuff with magic and different. There's vampires and there's different different creatures and and just elements and hierarchies and you know it's just it's it's the art is just so good and the colors and it's just you should be reading it is is what you should just be doing. <laughs> it's it's really good. Uh, so we have local man number eight. I'm I'm in, strangely fascinated with this. So this is uh, what Tony Fleeks and Tim Saley. So uh, you know I've talked about this like all the time, like each each issue pr- pretty much. Where you have this guy, he was in like a '90s extreme kind of like you know Image Comics team, and you know, they even re- in the past issue did like a crossover, like flashback with some uh, other characters, you know existing characters. And so you had this dude. I'm I'm pretty sure. That this is this team, cross cross gen cross jack cross gen no team. Well, now I'm forgetting what the team's name name was. But I'm I'm like ninety nine point nine percent sure that this was not a team back then. But it it just it makes it feel like that. So you have this guy. The guy's name was Cross Jack, right? Again, me horrible with names. He kind of disgraced himself on a team and he got kicked off the team and they kind of owned a right to him being like a hero. And so it's like, it's illegal for him to 
do any heroics or use anything and and his powers like you know he he's like the kid the boy who never misses or the kid who never misses so he's got like perfect aim and so it's almost like anything can be a weapon but he mainly used the shield and 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 that but he he's not supposed to do anything like that or they could sue him which is kind of ridiculous so he goes back to his hometown he's he's kind of like a you know a loser now because of all that he's disgraced and there's just like stuff going down in this town and some of the stuff you know traces back to you know before and so it's just yeah it's it's not going to look when he he's starting to put all the pieces together and it's it's not going to be good when he figure out figures out what's going on no one issue seven so this is uh, Kyle Higgins, uh, Brian Bucciolato, and Antonio Fuso doing the art, and this is a this is the book. I I kind of wish I, I would have mentioned this on last week's secret podcast when I was talking about time and comics because this is a book that kind of takes place in in real time. So you know each month, like uh, you know each issue, a month goes by in between there, and you know there is the podcast that you know kind of fills in the pieces in between. Uh, so you know you got this. There's this killer serial killer, and there's copycats, and like what's going on, and it's just like the investigation, and it, there's just a lot of different angles with you know people investigating it, and you know with the invest uh, with the, like the with the paper, and you know the people putting on the podcast, and then like the the police force and and all that so it's it's uh, really interesting that it's i feel like it's it's not like your typical comic and you know that that's a good thing because it it shouldn't be so you know it, the the fact that uh, i i feel like you know brian and kyle are just trying to do something a little outside the box and and i i don't know since i don't visit like other like other i don't visit comic sites and that i don't know what people are saying about this but i i hope that you know it's it's getting noticed uh, then let's see, we had the Schlub issue five. I don't think I read issue four. And so this is one where I'm on the fence with, you know, it's, it's written by, um, Ryan Stegman and, and I, I adore Ryan. He, he cracks me up. He, and he's, he's such a nice guy and, uh, he's an amazing artist. He's, so he's just doing a writing here. And my issue with this, it's, it's the same thing. And I, I mentioned this before. It's the same thing as uh, now. I'm drawing a blank. This is not maybe not the best time for me to record. Uh, it's been a long week, um, <laughs> and I, I won't go into the detail with you know my wife's surgery and just you know just recuperating part and just everything like that. But uh, it's, um, it's Rick Remender did that the that book about that guy scumbag. Is that the name of it? I could be wrong about that. Don't don't quote me on anything this week. Uh, but the schlub is, is he's not a likable character and the, the thing is he's not supposed to be so you got this l- kind of low life questionable you know, morals guy he gets switched with like the uber superhero and i don't even know if if that's been resolved in the last couple couple months but so it's just like mm, you know because you know you want to like the the characters that you're reading about so when you have a book centering around someone who's not the most quality person not that you know everyone has to be like a perfect saint but yeah i should probably get caught up on, on that and uh let's see what else was there there is universal monsters dracula issue three so this is by james tynan the fourth with uh martin simmons doing the art so but the two did a uh, um oh my gosh what was that that's 
<laughs> See, this is so bad. I, I can't even remember the the paranormal investigating. Oh, geez, I'm. It's yeah. It's it's been. I I should probably just go to bed right now. I, I'm recording this at late at night. So they did that other really cool comic. I, I hope they're not listening. They're not listening because uh, this is embarrassing. That I can't remember. And see, now here's the thing. I could pause this. I could look this up. I just feel like that's just disgenuine. I, I'm going to be totally upfront, and I'm, I'm flaking out this week. I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to try to fake that. And whether that, I don't think that takes away my because you, you know what I'm talking about and everything. I'm just yeah. But uh, with Dracula, let's just focus on that. And and what's going to happen? I, I guarantee you, like later after I record this, or more more likely when I'm like editing everything, I'm totally gonna re- re- think of the name. It's gonna come to me right then, and I'm just gonna be kicking myself. And yeah, I I'm not gonna like re-record or like record something and insert the because one that feels like too much work. And again, I I, I don't want to be disgenuine. Disgenuine. I don't, that doesn't even sound right. I don't want to be fake about it. So I, I'm gonna just totally own up to where I'm dropping a ball and everything like that. But with Dracula, it's just really cool because the, the art is just such, such a vibe and it just, it it really captures the feel like old school Dracula and, you know, just seeing everything. It's it's kind of freaky in a way, like borderline. And I don't know if I'd want to say disturbing, but, you know, the story of Dracula and and um, and what's his, his, his dude's name? See, I'm, I'm blanking on that too. I, I swear, man, I haven't been drinking, doing drugs, and I don't do that stuff. So. But I'm just like brain dead. Um, yeah, so it's just it's it's a disturbing story if you know the like the true Dracula story and everything. It's just and seeing like the horrors and all the freaky stuff. So check that out. And speaking of freaky stuff, uh, World Tree number six, also by James Tynan the fourth, and this this book has just been freaky with like the the horrible stuff that was uh, I, on digital was like on the underweb or under net internet stuff that these kids discovered back when they were like in high school, they tried like burying it, killing it. And then it's like, it's a, it's come back. And, you know, there's been some people who've been seeing like whatever these subliminal horror horror atrocities and just going out and like killing all these people doing stuff. Then there was like this naked woman going around, like doing things like killing and, and everything like that. And you're like, what the heck is up with this lady? We found out, I think it was two issues ago. Which was like a, a huge bombshell, I thought, and just like you know, you got an FBI woman investigating, and just like the the group, the the kids, they've gotten back together. You know, they're adults, you know, because this this thing that they unleashed years back is 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 out and everything. So it's 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 a really really cool cool book. So I uh, if you haven't been reading it, check that out. It's um. It's it's freaky and, and all that and it's 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 good, and and it's again it's it's so it's like James what what are you doing He's got such a dark and twisted mind even though he's like one of the nicest guys that you could ever talk to. At Marvel Comics we have Avengers Inked uh, bombshells more bombshells here. So um, I'm trying to think it was this issue last issue we got the identity of like who, no I think it was this issue okay so what has been happening here we're at issue four and there's like a new scourge of the underworld but it's not the scourge yeah and someone's going around killing villains and kind of like like a magic bullet like get shot straight through the head and they're they're dead but then it's like they're coming back to life and it's like well, what what's that what's going on with that there, there's something weird here 
And uh, a lot of these villains, they're, they're kind of like like C-listers, like, you know, dweeb villains or anything like that. I, I mean, whether it's meant to be super obvious or there's at one point where you see someone, you're like, hmm, I wonder if that person is involved with it. And, and they were. So you have that. So we, we really find out what's going on. And it's this whole thing is being investigated by Janet Van Dyne and this guy, Victor Shade. Is that the name he's going with? So he, Victor Shade, correct me if I'm wrong, he was a, yeah, he was whirlwind, but now when he came back, he's like not who he was. So he's kind of been working with, with Janet and, you know, trying to figure out what, what's happening here. Um, you see on the cover, Moon Knight's there. Uh, it, it's kind of, kind of funny how Janet gets him to work with them because he's kind of like yeah not not my thing but then because uh, basically uh, another villain was killed and they had mentioned that they were like they saw Moon Knight they're running from him because I think Moon Knight threw him off a building once before so they you know then he ends up getting killed so they like kind of question you know if he was involved with it he's like no he's like I, you know He's like he throws people off roofs, or you know why he doesn't kill whatever. So, so it, it was a there's a funny way that that Janet kind of kind of tricked him, sort of tricked him into working with them. What I will say is they they get to the bottom of things, they get answers, and it may not be the answers they were expecting or prepared for. And then the other question is like, what are they going to do now that they have these answers? And you know, the, even getting those once they get the answers. There's, there's like another layer to it. So even when they thought it's like, okay, now we know the whole deal. We got to figure out what to do. It's like, oh wait, there's more. So I, I thought that was, was, was pretty, pretty clever. Black Panther issue seven. And I keep saying, uh, if, if you're reading this, um, should I be reading this? Cause I, I haven't been reading it. And my, my problem with black, black Panther. I, so I, I, you know, I mentioned this, I stopped reading black Panther when they started doing that space empire of Wakanda or whatever. And I'm just like, what the heck is going on? Cause it, 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 it and I still don't know. I, I haven't like looked up to, to figure out where I can get the answers, but it, it seemed like it was like the regular black Panther comic. And then all of a sudden like T'Challa is like out in space, they're flying spaceships and there's, uh, it's like, wait, what's going on? Is this really T'Challa or is this like some intergalactic descendant that's called, that was also, is also named T'Challa or is this some alternate universe where it's, it's, I never really figured out what was going on. And and then I think I, I, I say, I don't even know if that was actually going on. And it what I, the other thing that that's kind of prevented me from, from reading Sam Wilson had this beef with T'Challa. So, you know, they're very angry. And even just in, in Avengers, even before that Captain America stuff with, with Wakanda and, and Black Panther, and sort of with the current Avengers, the Judd McKay, it just seems like Black Panther is like such an attitude. And, you know, whether it's a chip on his shoulder or just arrogance. And, you know, yeah, he's super duper smart, super duper, you know, whatever, agile, athletic and, and all that. You know, he's a leader. He's a, you know, a supreme fighter. You know, he can take out Silver Surfer, whatever. I just, uh, it's it, sometimes it's just, it's, it's unappealing when, you know, he's just so arrogant and, you know, you look at the Chadwick Boseman version, 
who is, you know, he's such, he had, he had like charisma, even though, and he was also like incredibly fierce and, you know, all that. So it's like, I'm not getting that vibe from the comics and, and the, the comics don't have to replicate what we're seeing in, in the theaters. You know, they shouldn't. It, it's annoying when they, when they backtrack and they try doing that. But it's just, I'm, I'm not eager to read Black Panther stuff. And, and, and also because a lot of times it gets like political, which is a good thing because, you know, it, comics shouldn't just be just, you know, two-dimensional. Well, they are always going to be two-dimensional. But it, it just kind of adds a different layer to it when you start getting out. And w- once this starts getting deep into politics or this or that, because, you know, there's, there's the stuff with like the sleeper agents, which was kind of interesting that what kind of would have people like outside and other you know, countries really being, you know, working for Wakanda and like kind of spying and stuff. I thought that was really intriguing. I don't really know whatever came with that, but I haven't been reading Black Panther. So you let me know if I, what I'm missing. Captain Marvel issue three. So with this, we, I, I feel like this, this storyline has to wrap up quickly. There's a, a thief going around. She ends up stealing the nega bands that captain marvel that, that Janice, uh marvel was using that and basically when you tap the two bracelets you switch bodies so like Janice and rick jones were were, were tra- which it seems like a horrible gig to have that you're either trapped in a negative zone or you're up being a hero you know because it's like only one can exist at at one point so it's just, you know, neither one can have a life. So it's just, yeah, not, not a good thing. So this, this thief manages to steal them. And somehow, because there, there's this other, the omen, this other deadly woman, evil force, whatever. You know, she wants the, the bands. And so the nega bands, they end up like bonding or joining with the thief and Carol Danvers. So now Carol is tied to being in the negative zone half the time and whatever. And it's just, yeah. So we'll see where this is going to go. But, um, I mean, they, they're, they're being chased and they end up going to Dr. Strange, the, the Sanctum Centaurum. So there, there are some nice interactions there with uh, Dr. Strange and with, with uh, Clea. Uh, so we'll see where that's going to go. Um, Carnage number two came out. Uh, I did not read that. Uh, surprise. Gang War, Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. I only read this because Greg Pak wrote this. And uh, it's, you know, part of the Gang War stuff. We, we saw Shang-Chi at one of the the, the gang leaders meeting. Because, you know, since he's in charge of the, the, the Ten Rings or whatever, you know, he's representing this sort of criminal organization and um here basically what what we have is he's like i'm protecting chinatown he's like i don't care what what happens outside of that you know there's this gang war going on but you know the chinatown's under protection of the the 10 it's not the 10 rings is it it's something uh whatever it doesn't matter obviously just despite the fact that you know he's kind of put his foot down there are other people that are going to, you know, call that into question. And uh, so he, he kind of gets involved. And then, then it, it turns out, I don't know if I should say this, but there might be a little, little betrayal within his organization. And is he, what's he going to do about that? 
so it was just it was all right yeah a ghost writer came out 21 I, I don't even know what's going on um immortal x-men number 18 i'm just i'm not a fan of this uh what's her her name uh mother righteous who she's like a, a clone of mr sinister and uh there's there's some big crazy things going on you know, so after the fall of Krakoa, you know most of the mutants are gone. She has kind of with the working with the mutants because you know it, good or bad, you have to join forces for survival. And a group of mutants end up getting shunted out in the middle of the desert. So you know they need to figure out a way to survive. This mother righteous is is there with them, kind of working with them, but then. She clearly, obviously, it's no, I don't know why anyone would be surprised. She has some evil, you know, motives uh, in, in mind. And when Jean Grey appears, she, you know, Jean Grey is kind of, Jean Grey died, but she's kind of back. And she's in a, a bit of a, a daze, uh, you, know, you know, she's not all there. So Mother Righteousness wants to use her with the connection to the Phoenix Force and all that. And she also tries to take out uh, Destiny because Destiny could figure out like her evil plans. So there's a a, a lot of that, and you know, it's just whatever. Marvel Heroes Secret Wars Battle World. This is number two in a four issue limited series. So this is by uh, Tom DeFalco and Pat Olive's doing the art. Which Pat Olive, I'm tr- I could be wrong. I think he did Untold Tales of Spider Man. He did a really good job. I mean, I, again, I'm, I'm now I'm doubting myself whether I, I even know what I'm talking about. But you know, if it wasn't him, I'm pretty sure it was. But if it wasn't, whoever did did an amazing job, just capturing that like old '60s vibe and in, in those comics. I love that that series it was such a, such a, a cool book. Uh, with this Secret Wars, I'm, I'm I'm very hesitant with the purpose of this book. And that's because I love Secret Wars so much, uh, that miniseries. It's not a great story, great series, but it, it I feel like it does hold up. I you know, I know I read it fairly recently, you know, the last couple of years for a secret podcast, which kind of bums me out because that means I can't do it again because there's no point. But we have this, this, this series goes back and kind of like to tell some hidden adventures that we weren't aware of. Okay, that I I always question the motive of that. It just feels feels kind of like you're like trying to milk things, and sometimes it it it's doesn't feel right. Like it just feels very forced or whatever. So this is obviously after Spider Man gets uh, the symbiote costume, which is a kind of a surprise because I I feel like if you're gonna do this, you know, if if you're gonna revisit Secret Wars, this could be like volume two or something like that you know revisit a time period before issue eight of the 12 issue miniseries you know i I would love to see other things that happen but maybe they're just looking at it like okay out of this whole thing spider-man in the black costume that's that's still like a hot hot topic and uh it's it's something people want want to see and so now here we get to see more of spider-man in the costume which is always cool to see uh, and you know, it's not aware of the fact that it's an alien symbiote, and you know, not really aware of everything that it can do. I, I think you're gonna have to be really careful with 
how like what he you know so he doesn't discover too much before like whatever happens issue nine or ten or whatever and uh what's what's neat about this there's there's some other forces and i don't know if it's the other beyonders or something like that because you know, i i'm not super crazy about that whole idea being more than one but there are other forces involved like manipulating things and spider-man's been kind of pulled out with human torch but then other people are brought in that weren't in secret wars but they had action figures so i really love the if, if that's i forget when when that this was first announced and i don't know if it i, I feel like that's part of the, the point of this it's like you know why do we have hobgoblin why do we have daredevil why do we have ice was there an Iceman action figure or was it never made concept but so we, we had these these other figures who i don't think baron zemo was in secret wars but he he definitely had action figures i i have him i still have him i feel like his head was a little sm too small but anyways there's all these other characters that had action figures made out of them but they weren't in the series so it's always kind of a weird thing I, I was like super excited and still am excited to have that hobgoblin figure because i loved him at that in, in the 80s you know the, that that point in time even though he had nothing to do with the book so here these other characters are kind of brought in which kind of is like this is why there was action figures so i i i think that's a brilliant twist but we'll, we'll see where this is going to go then we have uh, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, issue 14. So this is another gang war book. And uh, I'm just, I'm just have not been happy with Miles Morales. And uh, it, we got Prowler here. So wait, is Prowler evil? What's going on? And part of it, I feel like, well, let's use Prowler because of the Spider-Verse movies, which I, I think it's ridiculous that his uncle Aaron, because, you know, that's not who Prowler was. You know, Prowler is always Hobie Brown, but whatever. So we have all this gang war stuff going, and I, I'm just so annoyed of this. I forget their name because I, I just don't care enough to remember, like, what they're called. There's that that lady who's just on Miles Morales' case any, every time he goes out. It's like, how many heroes, because, you know, being a vigilante, being a, a masked hero is illegal in New York City because... Wilson Fisk, when he was mayor, he got a law passed. It was like tacked onto like some affordable housing or you know some other law thing, and then he put it on there. So it ended up winning. So it passed. There's a law that says you cannot be a superhero in New York City. It is illegal, and if you are, police are supposed to be arresting you, even though you're trying to save things. It's it's ridiculous. So there's this this group, and and they're employing some powered people, but because they're authorized, so like. Max Gargan, uh, uh, Scorpion, he is working there. So you know, there's been a lot of run-ins between Miles and, and Scorpion, which which is kind of kind of been nice that you know that they're they're kind of building up this rivalry, this whatever relationship, because they they kind of respect each other, but they whatever. And uh, but it's just it's so annoying that this woman just is on his case all the time and she doesn't care what's going on. And so they're in the middle of this gang war and they're fighting Prowler and the enforcers. But she's like, you're under arrest because you're doing this. And it's like, dude, you not see the bigger picture. There's like all these gang and and then they, they blame the gang war on the heroes that if it was for the heroes, this wouldn't be happening. That's just ridiculous. And then uh, 
while Miles is is dealing with Prowler, he's like, Uncle Aaron, why are you doing this and everything? It's like, is anyone listening? Can anyone hear? Are are you even, are making sure no one can hear? Because you're calling this guy your Uncle Aaron. And then Prowler gets, whether it's common knowledge that Aaron is a Prowler, and then it's like, wait, he's calling him Uncle. Oh, wait, th- this dude, he ha- actually has a nephew, Miles Morales. That must mean he's Spider-Man. And, and even if, uh, it's just, he, he, uh, whatever. There was a Predator versus Wolverine issue four. I stopped reading that. I read the first issue, skimmed through the second. Um, I'm, I I like the idea. It's, a, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's silly, but it could be cool. And when, when they brought in like Team 7, and I was just like, mm, not that I have anything really against Team 7. I don't know. But I haven't been reading that, so I don't know what, what's going on. And it, it could be good. Sensational She-Hulk, issue 3. So we have that, what's-her-name woman who managed to steal some of Jennifer Walters' blood because she wanted to become a Hulk, and it didn't quite go right. And uh, Hulk ended up showing up, so they're, like, fighting. And somehow there's this woman, this other Hulk, she's putting up a good fight. And her husband, you know, he wants to cure his wife because she's just, like, over the top. And it's because things aren't right. You know, she shouldn't be like this. And, you know, she's, she's not being reasonable and everything like that. So they also want to steal... Not at the Hulk's already want to steal like his blood too to use that. Hulk ends up getting knocked out, which is kind of silly. A building fell on him or something like that. Okay, fine. But then the husband he goes up to fallen Hulk, has this little like you know needle device thing, takes some blood out, and I'm like, okay, I'm assuming this is like a super duper strong needle designed to pierce the skin of hulks i just think i i don't think you can that easily get a blood sample from the hulk because you know we know hulk has a crazy healing factor so how could you pierce the skin i mean is it like an adamantium needle so they they just easily just get a blood sample uh what happens to that you have to read this you find out but this is this lady's just so annoying and, and it's just like destroying property or anything. And where things may get possibly more annoying is uh, Mallory Book, uh, Jen's lawyer boss, finds out that there's like some footage reporting the capes and masks and menaces. Whatever. Isn't it? Maybe it's not. I, I thought that was J. Jonah Jameson's online reporting thing but i don't know if he's necessarily doing the whole menace thing anymore because now that you know he knows spider-man's secret but there's like footage of she-hulk like lifting a car up and so of course you know she's being listed as a menace never mind the fact that well what about this other she-hulk that's out there causing all the destruction and she's trying to you know protect things trying to stop her it's not her fault maybe it's her fault because she's being targeted but not really uh, i don't know so it's it just it seems kind of silly and then the avengers uh they see this too they're like oh you know maybe we got to do something about it because uh you know carol's like well i've been trying to call her but she's not calling back and uh it's just it's I, that's it's just annoying when when 
other characters who are supposed to know them that they just they doubt things so easily oh it looks like dark droids issue 5 came out i didn't read this because i was like oh this is some other star wars dark droid thing but this is like i think the last one so i didn't read that i don't know what's going on uh mandalorian came out i'm not reading that because they're just straight up adaptations spider woman issue 2 gang war this this was a this was decent. There's a couple things that bothered me a little bit, but what I really liked is, is Jessica is kind of using all her like she, you know she mentions a lot about her her shield training and you know she's trying to break into this building and using different things. She still has a couple like shield devices, you know, like a security blocker whatever thing, and she's like you know it might be outdated, but you know can still block a camera's uh, you know signal so she can kind of like, you know sneak past when she breaks into this office building. And uh, we also have that Diamondback dude in here. I do not like this character. One is Diamondback is Captain America's ex-girlfriend. You know, the, the pink hair. She used to be in this, the Serpent Society thing or whatever. You know, she has no snake thing at all. But we have this dude. And he's just, he's such an evil, scummy guy. And I, I don't even remember if he's, does he still have the the infinity stone the time stone i'm trying to think if that was mentioned last issue but in this issue this is the type of guy he is he goes to his penthouse and he throws a guy off a balcony because he wanted the the, the he liked the view so he's basically killing the previous owner so he could take it and it's like okay um then who's going to pay the rent for that are you and then if you don't Someone else didn't come for that. But it's just the fact that he just so casually kills someone because he's that he's such a bad guy. And it's just so stupid. And uh yeah, so oh the other thing, Jessica, her her son is gone. She doesn't know who has her son. So she's you know, she doesn't know because she disappeared in the the web of life thing. You know, she's erased from continuity from existence. She came back, but her son's gone. But she did find a trace. I think it was the last issue. I think it was in, in the, the the first issue of the series, and not in like Spider Man or something like that. So she found like like a rattle or, or some like so, sign that her son actually existed because she was like kind of questioning that. So she doesn't know where her son's at, and she, you know she's determined to find out. Um, then there's Timeless. Uh, so I'm looking at this this book. I'm like, okay, what is going on here? It's Timeless, the future of the Marvel Universe revealed. And we have some dude. At first, I was like, okay, timeless time. I was like, is that Doctor Doom? Some weird thing. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any clue. You kind of see, okay, behind him, there's like, at first, I thought it was part of the cape, but it's it's supposed to be Moon Knight. I'll just say that. I don't think that's a spoiler, but I suppose, maybe I'm assuming that's, that's a moon. Then you got a guy front and center. Um, he's, he's got like a yellow, maybe, cape and some chains. Uh, he's black, so it's like he's bald. It's like it's got to be Luke Luke Cage, right? He has a big glowing fist. It's like what's up with that? I don't really know what the point of this book was. You know, it's just telling some other random future story, and so that is Luke Cage, and he has the iron fist, and it's like how did he get that? And it, yeah, and then um, Kanchu is the bad guy. Spoiler, but then there is a little twist to the whole thing because you know. Kanchu and Moon Knight are basically kind of running things, and uh, yeah, there's there's something that I didn't quite see coming, so I guess I uh, have to 
give them credit for that. And then, uh, I feel like I'm going really slow through Marvel books. Uh, X-Force issue 47. More follow Krakoa. And I, I just find it kind of funny that where the mutants barely survived, the core like X-Force team kind of did survive. They managed to avoid everything. But I think they were sent off off the island, so that maybe that makes sense. But they're trying to establish uh, like a, another alternate uh, like a sanctuary for any mutants who might still be out there. And uh, yeah, so they're setting that up. Quentin gets a little distracted because you know he's trying to use his powers to send out like a psychic call. It's like, hey, if anyone's there, if you can hear me, you can come here. We we're setting up a new place. Then the last page, someone has found them and has them in their literally in the sights of like a, a rifle like oh there they are and um i'm like why why is this this character there Oof. um read it and find out it's just um i just yeah i'm not not excited about that at dc DC Comics. Uh, we had Just Society of America. I love this book. It's, it's Jeff Johns. Um, I'm assuming he's not going to be, you know, doing this the series for like 50 issues or whatever. It's, you know, if he's he's doing his his thing at Image, his own production or whatever, own imprint with other artists and writers, he's probably his time is going to be limited here. And when he leaves, it's going to suck because I'm not saying that no one else can write Just Society. I, I, I'm sure I've said this before, but there's something about when he does that. It's just, I, I just, I can't explain it. It's just, it's so good. And, you know, just society characters, I've never, I've never really cared about them. You know, I'm not like the, the biggest just society fans, but it's a, it's just, there's, there's something about the way he, I, I don't know. I, I can't really explain it. So there's just some some good stuff here and then we have um red lantern in here and what, what's interesting about this is i feel like i'm assuming that there's like some connection with the alan scott green lantern book that that they're probably because you know that's by tim sheridan right and i i feel like that there's they're working in conjunction together so yeah you, you have that and um it's it's just it, it it's just it's so good the, the writing and the, and art you know it's just it's amazing so I I just love this and then uh, there's kind of a twist at the end it's like who's that mysterious person is that who we think it is so I'm I'm really excited for this series and I I hope Jeff Johns somehow stays stays on longer because I I really don't know what what the status is of that uh, action comics. Um, what was is? Oh, this is annual. I was like, wait, Action Comics number one. Um, yeah, it's just it. It does wrap up the whole Blue Earth, uh, Tali the Earth, not Tali Al Ghul, the uh, Al Ghul, the daughter of uh, who? Who is she? Is it Talia? Is she's not Talia? Is it Talia? And did they have another kid? I don't even know. But anyway, she's from this alternate Earth, and, and she's kind of super evil, taking over things. And, you know, she's been posing as, like, the leader of this Blue Earth, like, anti-alien organization. And, you know, they basically want to take over the Earth, that Earth, Earth Zero. 
and you know they're trying to turn people against superman and, and the family because that's like the only real opposition or whatever which i'm surprised she doesn't want to do anything against batman or or gotham but yeah it's just a lot of i thought i mean it was, it was fine there's some some decent moments but some kind of borderline cheesy moments and all that so i i don't know and i just i i love all the characters but i i just feel like there's too many super characters in metropolis it's like you would think that they would want to spread out like you know covered the east coast or west coast or the south and i don't know um we had uh oh wait this, i didn't realize titans 6 came out because i assume titans uh titans beast world number three came out which is also i i just realized was is is written by tom taylor i haven't been reading uh teen titans because i don't want to read this beast world beast war beast world stuff and um it just seems like you know everyone's getting turned into beasts and then blah 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 at the end of the arc everyone's gonna be returned back to normal because like batman is infected you know i found out last week because i'm not reading this uh yeah i just i should be I, I didn't realize Titans was out, so I, I skipped that. There is Detective Comics. Someday I'll, I'll read that again. Um, Green Arrow, issue seven. As, so the Green Arrow going through time thing has been kind of resolved. So that's not happening anymore. But when uh, Ollie is back you know, and he's with Connor, which, which is cool to see him actually paying some attention to Connor, but Roy is, is missing and uh, so they need to figure out like where he's at, and it's just it's just a really, really good book, and and it, it's kind of funny because when Green Arrow comes back, he's like, wait, he goes to Hall of Justice, no one's there, and it's like it's like dusty and closed, and he's like, what's what's going on here? And then he finds out that the Justice League disbanded. Yeah, so he's he's dealing with with all that. Uh, then we have the Flash issue four. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not really, I, I don't know. So we, we have Iray, I think that's how you say her name. So Wally's daughter, she actually goes out, does some stuff with, a uh, Liberty, what's her name? I see again, me and names, but Iray actually goes out and does some stuff. And I normally can't stand her as a character, like just to both of Wally's kids. I, I find them extremely annoying and it's 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 like sitcom sitcom kid syndrome where you know you the characters have a kid and then they're aged it's just so you can have these cute little kids in the you know the next season so Wally's kids were aged i just i i don't know i i don't really i don't really care that he has kids and i i know it it's important it's good cuz it's it's something different cuz if you just have regular Wally and you have regular Barry. And Barry, Barry's not even doing anything. We're like, where the heck is Barry? What is he doing? But we have so many flashes. So it's like, let's have a flash with kids. It makes them a little different. Okay, fine. But the kids are just annoying. Um, but Iray, she was actually a little more interesting here. You know, she's doing some things. You know, she's kind of, kind of like stepping up with, with her powers and her control of her powers and abilities. But... I just I don't know I I, I feel we, we we didn't have Wally for like the longest time 
and then he came back, and then he was like kind of taken away, and then he's like, wait, he's gonna be sitting on on Metreon's chair, and we're like, what? And yeah, so we'll see. Um, I, I mentioned Alan Scott Green Lantern, so there's a looking at his past. Uh, it's it's okay, and um, whether that's gonna tie into the Red Lantern stuff in Just Society, we'll, we'll see. Uh, there's Batman Brave and the Bold, so I'm not reading that, because that's like the anthology book, I think. There's Power Girl Issue 4, and uh, this kind of wraps up the story that, um, what's her name? Not Karen. P Paige. What's, what is she going by? Is she going by a different name? Anyways, it, she's been targeted, or she, there's this thing that's been going after her, and they kind of wrap things up. But just when it looks like things are settled, it, it takes on a, a new new twist. And I feel like there's something, something happened in Superman, and it's either in a Superman annual or this. I'm t now drawing a blank. One There's one development here with something at the Fortress that I, I'm not super crazy about, but I, that's the point. But there is, I thought there was something else with Superman... And it's not the fortress. I don't, see, there's something else that'll, that'll come back to me later. Um, I did uh, kind of skim through Amazon Attacks three because I haven't read issue one or two, and you know this is going along with the, what's going on in, in Wonder Woman with everyone anti Amazon, and it's it's cool seeing you know some of the other characters, but um, yeah, there's there's really nothing there that blew me away. Um, we have Penguin issue five. I'm not reading that. Cyborg issue six. I was curious with like the first issue, but then I didn't read the second issue. Now it's just so far behind. So I don't know. Um, Sandman universe nightmare. I, I feel like I should have been reading that because you know James Tynan. But maybe I'll get caught up on that at some point. And then there's also Harley Quinn, which I haven't been reading. I haven't even like checking it out lately. Uh, but I, I'm I'm glad to see it's at issue thirty five. That makes me happy. But I I don't know if it's any good. Uh, but what I do know, maybe, is the rest of the podcast will, could be good. <laughs> but that is going to be comic books for the week. All right, then Scott Pilgrim takes off. Season 1, Episode 8, The World versus Scott Pilgrim. So this is the final episode, and uh, um, it's, it's pretty crazy. You know, this, this whole series was just... I, I, I love how ambitious and over-the-top it was, and... Um, it's just, just not what I expected, and I think that's great. So it starts off, uh, picks up from the last episode. The, the Scott Pilgrim musical is about to begin. Todd is getting, <laughs> he's getting, like, extra butter on his popcorn. It's, like, literally, like, dripping off. It's just, like, it's disgusting, even, like, too much for me. Uh, then Ramona busts through the door, and she, like, skids. Scott goes flying out of her purse with, like, his fist extended, punches through the big bucket of popcorn. He's like, Todd Ingram, evil X number three, the vegan? And then he's like, let's fight. Todd starts laughing. He's like, me? Fight you? He's like, over Ramona? He's like, don't make me <laughs> laugh. He's like, and I'm vegan no longer. I had a cheese plate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner today. And he's like, "Ugh, you owe me a new t <laughs> a tub of butter. <laughs> I mean, popcorn. And then Scott's like, and you didn't create this weird force field between me and Ramona? And he's like, dude, for your information, 
I've got a new obsessive love interest. He's like, hey, you were Wallace's roommate. Tell me everything. Where was he born? What is his middle name? Does he have a favorite vegetable? And from the vegetable up, from vegetable, from a balcony up above, Wallace's yells out. He's like, move on, Todd. I'm not interested in courage and way. And Todd's like, but there were sparks, sparks. And Wallace's like, there's no such thing. And he just like walks away. Todd starts like starts hyperventilating. He runs up the stairs like after him. Then Matthew Patel and his demon ghost girl things come in the lobby. He's singing and then he's like, oh, hi, Ramona. And she's like, hmm. And Scott turns around and gets in a big like showy like fighter stance. Matthew's surprised and uh, like two of the demon things like step in front of him <laughs> to protect him probably. And he's like, Scott Pilgrim. Do not be throwing hands at me right now. This is the biggest night of my career. I shouldn't even be wasting my voice on you. So, <laughs> and then Scott's like, hmm? And then Julie and Goose come in, and she's like, well, look at this. Scott Ramona together again. And Goose is like, so he's alive. Put her there, pilgrim. He extends his hand, and then Scott turns like, in his like big grunting fighter stance again. He, you know, And he's like, hey, I get it. No pressure on the handshake. And Scott's like, you didn't create a force field preventing me and Ramona from kissing, did you? He's like, Scotty, that evil villain stuff is behind me. I've got jewels now. And she's like, and we were just here to watch the show, you psychomaniac. Let us pass. And Scott's like, what? Eh? And then uh, a ton of ninja paparazzi drop down. Lucas rolls in on a skateboard. He jumps over like a, a wall of them. Uh, he takes a couple out <laughs> and he like lands on them or something like that. And then he, like, they like turn into coins and he's like, come on, fellas, don't make this about me. Let me tell you about Broadway bad boy, Matthew Patel. Then there's like this blinding flash from the camera flashes. Roxy um, comes running in, pulls out her swords, <laughs> takes out like several paparazzi, just like slice them. Scott turns a grunt. He's like, hey, evil exes, do either of you know anything about this force field thingy? And would either of you like to fight about it? Roxy's like, nope. It's like, come on, let's go watch a stupid musical about a stupid guy. Rowena's like, hmm? Then the twins and the robot come in. Scott, like, um, he, he growls and he gets like, he's like grunting, whatever. The one twin's like, oh, excuse us. We were just, because they're, they're saying, they, they came in, they're like, Scott Pilgrim, whatever. They're like, we were just reading, uh, you know, the, the, or the, the program thing about that. And the other's like, we're not here to fight. Our robot says we're all bros in the future, so... And they both, they're like, later, bro. Ramona's like, so it probably wasn't them then? That leaves, wait, nobody? We've ruled out all my exes. And Scott's like, what What the hell? It's like, no fights, no kissing. This finale sucks. He's talking about this show, right? So then above the stage, you see there's a bunch of bombs. So there's someone planning something. Scott and Ramona about to take their seats. They're all ne next to the, uh, the others. Um, Lucas Lee is sitting behind them and he ducks forward. He's like, Scott Pilgrim, you got the girl. You going to kiss her or what? He starts chanting, kiss her, kiss her. And all the others are like chanting that too. And, and it's like all the exes are seated in the row behind him. Scott like groans. The lights go dim. Curtains rise. Matthew Patel's on stage dressed as Scott. He's got like a wig on plus like the outfit, with the shirt with the star and all that. Everyone, um, they seem to be enjoying it except Scott. Goose looks at Julie and he pulls out a detonator with like a glowing red button. So he's about to push it. So he's he put all the bombs up there. But then he gets distracted by this big glowing light. This energy dome is like in the middle of the stage, expands out into the audience, and then the screen shows like old like video game graphics. 
the world versus Scott Pilgrim attack. Roxy's like, what the hell? Where are we? The two rows of, you know, all our main characters, basically, during like this smoking crater. And Todd said it must be part of the show. He's like, the special effects are incredible. Matthew Patel dramatically says that it most certainly is not. And he's like, I need to go back and sing the big finale. And Goose is like, exactly. He's like, he needs to bring the house down with dynamite. He's like, Julie and I rigged the whole stage with it. And Patel is shocked. He's like, why? And Julie like, isn't it obvious? He took his life away, and I'm the cool girl who's helping him get it back. Knives like, but that could really hurt someone. Goose like, you know, not them. And in the, the cast, he's like, the cast and crew maybe. You know, Luke is like, still not cool, Goose. And then this shadowy figure with this low whisper voice like, enough. And Steven's like, Scott? And Kim's like, but old. He's like, no, even older. The screen shows even older Scott, 47 years old, mental health and well-being unknown. Scott's like, even older me? How you doing? Love the white hair, huh? Scott is surprised by um, even older Scott's like fist to his face. And everyone's like, huh? They all say that. And even older Scott's like, I explicitly told you to stay away from Ramona. But did you listen? No. He punches him again and again. And Ramona like, so, <clears throat> She, like, walks towards him. Scott coughs some blood out. Ramona stands in front of him. And he, oh, even older Scott's like, isn't that perfect? Scott and Ramona must be love. She, like, raises her fist. He's like, hey, give us a kiss, you two. Let's see those sparks. And it's regular Scott's like, oh, the force field, it was you. And even older's like, uh, duh. I tried to convince you to give up on Ramona. But if you didn't listen, I had a backup plan. So there's a flashback from the future. A flashback to the future. He's like, I put na nano machines in your drink, developed by the twins, coded to Ramona's DNA. You'll find the AK field they generate to be quite impenetrable. And uh, Ramona's like, AK field? And even older's like, anti-kissing fields. Scott's like, why are you here fighting us? You've already won. Even older's like, I'm here because winning didn't change anything. We still end up marrying Ramona. Inexplicably, you and all your stupid friends must team up at some point in my new past. And figure out how to dissolve the anti-kiss fields. My new memories are kind of fuzzy, but that made me realize all my plans were too complicated. Time to do what I should have done in the first place. Rip your... And then Goose interrupts him. <clears throat> He's like, sir, I respect what you've... The work that you've put into this villain plot. But I have my own villain plot going on. So please, send the rest of us back first. We've got no beef with you. And then even older's like, what if I have a beef with you? He takes off his shirt. His eyes are glowing red, and he, like, grunts. Goose and Leaf, like, a flash just starts, like, choking. And even older Scott's, like, laughing. He's, like, pathetic. He lets him down. And he's, like, after you let the f left the future, and after old Wallace kicked me out, I began my training. For ten years, I did nothing but study all your skills, your strengths, your weaknesses, because there's only one way to end this. Me versus the world. I have to destroy all of you. And Scott's, like, so you're the big bad? And it's like, at this point, it's like, uh, duh, is that obvious? Even Oler's like, me, I'm the good guy. I've been living like a friggin' monk. And Ramona's like, is that what we're calling it? Or is that, that is it that you haven't been outside in 10 years? He's like, ah, you sound just like my wife. And she's like, hmm. So she pulls out her hammer and screams like, large hammer plus 10 against elders. The announcer's like, even older Scott Pilgrim versus everyone, fight. Even older Scott 
swings at Scott's face, but Ramona blocks it with her hammer, and she swings it up into his face. She does this, like, leap thrust down, you know, but even older. Scott blocks the blow with his forearms. The ground beneath him cracks a little bit from, like, the impact, like, you know, pushing him down. Her hammer shatters, and Ramona is like, surprised, so Ramona doesn't have her hammer anymore. Scott calls out her name, runs up, he punches even older Scott in the face, then a flying knee to his face, he follows with like several blows to even older Scott's chest, even older like starts blocking, swats Scott out of the way, zips over, he kind of like zips over, teleports to a different side, and backhands Scott, Scott goes flying, um, he, loses, he loses a shoe, <laughs> I thought it was funny. Uh, knives gas and she runs to Ramona and to see if she's okay and she's like do you have anything besides that hammer so Ramona snaps open her purse just to see what she has Scott groans and tries to get up Knives screams delivers a flying kick to even older Scott's face and has two glowing like blue daggers then she flings a, a dagger at him even older Scott blocks it and you know, it sticks in his hand then he yells and grunts and she says, it's time to chow down. Nice chow. And even older is like, oh, you want to fight old Scotty P? So it's like, I didn't realize Knives could fight. You know, she's just a high school kid, whatever. She throws her dagger at him several times, but he like pushes her and then she goes flying. And blood like spurts from, from somewhere. So she seems like she got hurt. One of the twins leaps up and catches her. And even older Scott's like, you need to respect your elders. Uh, Matthew Patel raises a card and says, all's fair in love and war. Everyone gets in a fight stance. Matthew does a, a, a like a move and like eight extra phantom limbs like pop out. Um, he punches even older Scott several times and he, he like knocks him up in the air. Then Roxy, Todd, and Lucas reach into Ramona's bag to get a weapon. Roxy has a glowing sword. Todd gets like a digital broccoli. Lucas gets a glowing skateboard. So Todd eats a broccoli and powers up. Even Old Scott catches the sword between his fingers when uh, uh, Roxy tries swinging it down at him. He like takes one of the swords. She throws uh, like some throwing stars at him, but he blocks him with the blade. Lucas skates up to him, smashes the board in his face. Todd uses vegan power to teleport in front of him to deliver another blow. Uh, Matthew Patel, Todd Ingram, Lucas, and Roxy, they stand like over even older Scott. He gets up and it kind of goes like Super Saiyan, like, looks like powering up. He's glowing with red energy. He delivers like a hard blow to each each of the four. The twins get ready. Robot shoots out two rocket fists at him. They just like bounce off his, his face, like his nose, doesn't even do anything. Even older Scott leaps up, stomps down on them. Sends a massive dust cloud to the, yeah, at the others. Goose sends out like this big energy blast from his hand. Even older Scott just catches it, shoves it back, running up and like punches him, uh, sending the, the blast and the others you know back. Um, then it's like, wait, did Knives just put up like a force field? It's like, w when could she do that? Scott yells out, he's like, Ramona! There's a big explosion. The others get sent back to the theater. Ramona is is blocking the energy with her bag, and you know because she, she like opened a zipper up and and she's just like taking it in there. The purse kind of like implodes in itself, so I guess she doesn't have her magic purse now either. Scott runs up to her and says that they should hit him together. They both hit him like under the jaw, and he goes flying up. He stops mid air and like powers up. Scott somehow manages to jump up there. It's like, wait, how can Scott be floating and jumping up there? Because he doesn't have special powers. He punches him, but he blocks. Um, Scott headbutts him, and he goes down after, like, 
um, after him, but then he headbutts him like three more times, and he's like, you need to let me live my life. Even Oler's like, if I do, you'll end up where I ended up, alone, alone in a room for 10 years. Regular Scott's like, that was your choice. He's like, let me make my own. And even Oler Scott's like, I'm you. So he grabs Scott by the face. He blasts him. He goes smashing, you know, smashing him down into the ground. Ramona runs up to him. And she's like, what if, what if he's right? He's you. Do you want, do I want to date that guy? And Scott's like, do you think I want to be that guy? He's like, I won't. And she's like, Scott, how can you be sure? And he like thinks about it, sees someone coming. Even older, Scott is approaching Ramona, but then future Ramona is blading towards him. She does this flip, lands in front of him. The screen's like, future Ramona Flowers, age, even older, but still don't ask. She's like, 10 years, 10 years. Even older Scott kind of whimpers. She's like, not even a text? Then Wallace tells me you're training to go back in time to fight yourself? And even older Scott's like, well, not just myself, a lot of people and, and a robot. And she's like, we hit one rough patch and you go completely insane. Why are you in the past fighting all these people uh, and a robot when you could have been fighting for us? He's like, uh, we were over? She's like, I just needed some space, dude. And even older Scott's like, what have I been doing for the past 10 years? Uh, giving you space. And she's like, uh, he's like, okay, wait, 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 back up. Are you saying that we weren't over? Are you saying that you still love me? And she's like, at the time, yes. And he's like, does that mean that we can get back together? And she's like, just like that after 10 years? It's like, no, dude. He's like, oh, well, that makes sense, I, I guess. And then um, regular Ramon is like, so what about me? You're telling me I should just skate on? And she's like, huh? Ramon is like, call it another failed experiment. And future Ramon is like, would that come as any surprise? And then even older Scott's like, oh, go ahead. Both of you run, run away from the thing that you love. Young Ramona thinks back to walking away from Matthew Patel in the hallway, kissing Todd while, you know, Lucas walks in with a broken heart, walking away from Roxy as she moves out, um, walking away from twins or arguing, you know, with each other over her. Walking away from Gordon in front of like his G-Man Media building, and then her just like skating, and she's like, "I'm done running," so she gives herself a hug, and she's like, "You, I choose you." So future Ramona hugs her back. They glow and rise and like become one, maybe something. Um, the two Scots like look in awe, and Scott's like, "Super Ramona, it's just like Sonic the Hedgehog 3. And even older Scott's like says the same thing, but he says Sonic Hedgehog two. I I, I mean three. So he got it wrong. Super Ruana says, wow, this one's just an idiot kid. And this one's a real mess. Scott's like, oh, kick his ass for Super Ramona. And Super Ramona's like, no, it's never too late to clean up a mess. But I will send him home so he can get started. And it's even old Scott's like, wait, who? No, 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 wait, wait. I, I. And then Super Ruana snaps. He's back in his training room. He's like, oh, this is great. Not so Super Ramona stands in front of regular Ramona. She's uh, like, the me who left him and the me who just met him. We're the same. I see that now. It's all the same. It's all beautiful. And Scott's like, beautiful. Super Ramona floats down at him and tries kissing. Uh, the force field's still there. Tries again and again. Finally, it breaks through. There's sparks. Wow. And Ramona's like, hey, because I'll have a... A lot of trouble saying it later. This future Ramona. So because I have a lot of trouble saying it later, let me say it now. I love you, Scott. 
and I run away from the thing that I love. But what I've done in the past doesn't have to define me. Help me keep remembering that, okay? And then she gets brighter and brighter and disappears. Back at the theater, Cass is on stage, Matthew sobbing happily. He bows, audience cheers, the exes are clapping. Um, Envy Adams, even she even says, not bad. Scott is there next to Ramona. She looks at him, grabs his face, kisses him. There's sparks. They both notice the sparks. They kiss some more. Matthew's spirit demon things are like trying to uh, unarm the bombs. Goose and Julia are brought and uh, forced down at Matthew's feet. Two demons said, they tried to bomb the theater, sir. And Patel's like, we don't use the B word on opening night, girls. And he's like, why'd you do it, Gordon? He's like, I don't know. Maybe I just am just evil. I only want a revenge for what he took from me. So here's the thing about, about that. He, he took his empire and everything. But that was like on a condition, you know, he defeated Scott Pilgrim. He killed him. But what we found out, because Scott's still alive, he didn't defeat him. You know, Scott was taking, was grabbed mid-fight. So he never got like a say in it. So it just seems like that should have null and voided the contract. But no one really mentions that. So, uh... Patel's like, buddy, you think I enjoy being a CEO? It's like, I've lost billions. Is there any way you would just take the empire back? Just let me keep my show, and the rest of it is yours. Goose, like, swells with happiness. He doesn't even care. So they hug and laugh. But then his uh, the laugh kind of turns to evil laughter. So it's like, hmm. The audience starts exiting. Todd and Lucas carry Matthew on their shoulder. Um, there's, like, varied responses. You hear other just random pe- people voices saying, someone said that they, they like Matthew now, and someone was like, oh, it sucked. Scott and Ramona are the last ones out. They're holding hands. The screen kind of fades into like a heart shape zooming in on their hands. But then it cuts a sex bomb performing in the living room with knives on a keyboard. Now she's in the band. Ramona and young Neil are on the sofa. Young Neil's still playing his video game. Um, Ramona's like, wow, it's, it's sounding great. And Scott's like, see, we don't suck. And Kim's like, not since knives joined the band. And Steven's like, all right, fine, we don't suck. But we are late. Come on, knives. They run out. So an epilogue, Envy is in recording studio. We can't hear what she's singing because there's like you, you don't hear any of the actual voices. Stephen and Knives are dancing in the control room, so I don't know if they wrote something, if she's singing something they wrote. Ramona's running through a building that's on fire, and she jumps out the window, but she lands on this big mat. So she's working as, as a stunt woman now because that's what she enjoyed. Young Neil's like driving in the back of a golf cart on the studio lot. They drive by a sign on, on one of the buildings that says it's for a musical saying the winner of 27 Tony Awards now on Broadway. Todd's eating a salad while on a treadmill. Roxy's like cheering him on. She's like, vegan power. Kim goes to no account video. Um, the other gal just like locking it up and the close sign is up. Taped underneath it, it says um, forever. They go to the coffee shop. There's a swarm of people at the counter. Lucas Lee is doing like fancy moves, kind of like Tom Cruise in Cocktail, as he's making a coffee. Then he goes up to the lady. He's like, to Kim and uh, what the other one. He's like, superstar barista, Lucas Lee at your service. And Kim's like, whatever. He's like, uh, whatever? And Kim's like, yeah, whatever. They walk out. And he's like kind of surprised, and he smirks. And he's like, hmm. Stacy is on the phone behind the counter. She's like, yeah, it's so annoying, but the tips are good, and I do get to look at his butt all day. The twins are sitting by the windows or reading with their robots. Then in Paris at the Eiffel Tower, Wallace tells some, some guy that he's using the money he made in his major Canadian motion picture that never got made. So it turns out that this other guy is like a Canadian guy because he's like, oh, yeah, our French is terrible. 
But then we see them kiss by a canal, and then there are sparks. And Wall's surprised. He's like, sparks are real? Then we see Ramona. She's dyeing her hair. She's dyeing it blonde with kind of like kind of like light aqua green at the bottom. She goes outside. You know, the others are out there. Pans out over the city. It's the end. Or is it? Because then there's a red room full of screens. And Goose is like, time for the real game to begin. And Julia's like, the goose is loose. Honk, honk, bleepers. But she didn't say bleep. So that's the end. And uh, that's where there could be more. Because Goose and, and Julie, so now that they're together, they're going to be evil. Because Julie, I guess, is always evil. And now she's embracing being evil. And she's going to encourage Goose to be evil. So what could they possibly have planned? Uh, Goose got his empire back. Is he still mad? Is he still mad at Ramona? Does he have any reason to be mad at Ramona if he's with Julie? Because, I mean, why would Julie want to encourage that? Because, I don't know. So I guess that that's the thing. You know, don't don't do a sequel if or don't do another season if there's no story to tell. It has to be something really cool. Because this one, I, I feel like they really pulled all the stops out or whatever, pulled all the stops. Is that what the saying is? You know, they they did a lot. They they got crazy. They got ambitious. And, you know, how do you continue that or how do you top that? So I would say, you know, if, if you're not sure, don't do it. But we'll have to see. But I, I, did, I did really enjoy that. And uh, it, it was it was just really cool. So I'm glad I did it week by week. And I know maybe that was annoying. But hopefully you enjoyed the coverage. And hopefully you enjoyed the show. Okay, then Monarch, Legacy of Monsters, Season 1, Episode 6, Terrifying Miracles. So it starts off in 1955. There's like some summer ball in Washington, D.C. Uh, we see Shaw's in uniform. He sees Kai uh, like all dressed up and like in his gown. She comments that her, her dress prevents her breathing and it, it like prevents walking or something like that. And she's expected to impress men who can't even remember her name who would just as soon you shut them down as turn or turn their work into like weaponry and she's like why isn't billy here and shaw's like are you kidding me he'd look terrible in that dress so she kind of like laughs or he says that this is the only like this is only one night a year so they just have to say hello say thank you to people you know footing the bill and then go on their merry way so he hands her like a, a drink she like pretty much gulps it down then they come across the general He's telling a couple of others how he's like, oh, look, it's like, I pulled him out of a brawl, bloody knuckles, but potential. And he's like, do you remember what, he's like, do you remember what I said and how to succeed in this man's army? And Shaw's like, uh, definitely, sir. You said to only punch sailors and Marines from now on. And the general was, so he was obviously talking to like two high ranking Navy and Marine officers. So there's like this awkward pause and the general doesn't look too happy. Then one of the others starts like laughing and the general laughs with him. And he's like, now look at you, a captain with the future of Project Monarch in your hands. And one of the others says that they're excited to hear more about this mysterious Project Monarch. And Shaw's like, outstanding. He's like, I think you'll find our work vital to not only American security, but global scientific superiority. He's like, I'd like to introduce you to, you to the brains of our outfit, Dr. Kaiko Miura. And the other's like, Miura? It's like, Japanese name, yeah? And Jenner's like, hey, now, you know, she's one of the good ones. And Kai just, like, smiles and, and kind of, like, looks away because it's just, like, ugh. So after a bit, she's sitting alone at, like, a table, like, towards the back. Shaw comes up and joins her. And she's, like, one of the good ones. And she's, 
And she's like, Puckett. And he's like, General Puckett. She's like, is a major a-hole. And Charles like, you got to keep your voice down. He's like, guys like them, they're old-fashioned. And she's like, if we ever find another Titan, those old-fashioned men will blow it up or march it into Red Square. And he's like, you ever hear an expression, to a hammer, the whole world's a nail? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, well, this is a hardware store. And she's like, hmm, well, in my country, we have a saying, the nail that sticks up gets hammered down. Shaw's like, not, not you. You're going to change your minds, as old-fashioned as they may be. And she's like, how? He's like, because it's what you do. It's who you are, Kai. She's like, you are a, a force of nature. And then there's, like, music playing. So he gets up. He extends out a hand to her, and she kind of, like, scoffs. He's like, come on. She's like, the things I do for Monarch. And so others start kind of looking at them. She seems, like, a little uncomfortable. And then, you know, he, he's like, he dips her. And she's like, what are you doing? He's like, dipping you. So people are watching. Then they twirl. The general's, like, also watching. Kai starts to lighten up a little. And then she's um she's staring into his eyes. And then her head kind of, like, goes close to his. And, and then their, their, their heads are, like, touching. But it's like, I thought she and Billy, maybe they're not together or maybe not yet then the song's over and they like clap so they're standing on a balcony like above the dance floor and she says that you know he could be one of them and Shaw's like well maybe general puckett is right you know being career military might not be so bad he talks about you know nights like this a house neighbors barbecues with neighbors and she says you know sunday luncheons with the girls and he's like kids you know th their hands are, are pretty much touching when they're up at the balcony then she like leans her head on his shoulder and she's like, do you know what my favorite thing about children is? Never for being afraid to say, I don't know. And he's like, everything, every day is an adventure and a mystery. They devour the world. And Shaw's like, you want to know what my favorite thing about children is? And she's like, hmm? He's like, making them. And she looks at him. And, and then it cuts to there by the elevators. I'm like, what? They're waiting for the elevator to come. And Bellhop's like, Captain Shaw, urgent message for captain shaw from bill randa and shaw mutters like no it's like don't do this to me then then he's like or she's like maybe next time soldier or next luau or something like that and she like walks away and shaw's like then he whistles for the bellhop he's like the things they do for monarch so then at delta junction alaska there's a van driving there's some dude like handcuffed with a bag over his head in the back the van stops that monarch lady Duvall, so she's the one with the, that guy, Todd, she's like knocks on the door. Um, she's on the phone, uh, tells one of the guards, she's like, change the plan. So obviously it must be Shaw under the, the bag. So then she's like, in, in French, she's like, Colonel, your dossier says you speak French. Uh, is this true? Or if this is true, clear your throat. He's like, <clears throat> he does it quietly. And she continues in, in French. She's like, excellent. Count to six, then drop. She puts the phone down and you know she winks at the guy who opened the door. Shaw ducks to the side. From the outside, you see the van so it starts like you know rocking. One guy gets flung out, then a second, and she pulls a hood off Shaw's head. And he's he says clean. I don't know what, what what that means. So she pulls out a knife and like points it at his throats, and then she like cuts the zip ties on his wrist so it wasn't handcuffs. She's like, another Titan emergence is coming. You think you know how to stop it? But Monarch disagrees. Why do you know more than the finest physicists, geologists, and zoologists on Earth? And he's like, don't know more, but I got a good idea about what's going on. 
didn't do enough about that when I had a chance, figuring I was making up for that now or die in the trying. And she's like, why not share what you know with Monarch? Surely they could help. So I was like, they've known everything for years. I've been telling them for years. They just don't believe it. And she's like, why not? He's like, because I'm crazy, just like Wild Bill Randa and his crazy kid hero. It's amazing, isn't it? How anyone who disagrees with them has got to be just crazy. So she's still holding a knife up to him. And he's like, what about you, mademoiselle? So Duvall's like, my sister, Sandra, she worked in Japan, Janeira. So, so that was the uh, power plant thing, whatever. She's like, some of us came to Monarch saying, never again. I meant it. And there are more who feel like me, waiting for someone to show us how. I think it's you. Does that make me crazy? And he's like, I think you and I have a lot to talk about. And then they drive away into SCB. So now here's the thing. Is she really turning on Monarch or is this part of the plan? Because I'm trying to remember who said give the kids like a long leash to see where they take them. And she's, you know, got this deal going with May. She's talking to her. But um, I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. So Monarch headquarters, 1955. Bill is there. He says, sorry for interrupting you or whatever. I don't give a poop. He's like, I think we got a live one. And Kai asks if there's a visual confirmation. So Bill says, a guy thinks he saw it, but isn't sure. And at the same time, you're like, sounds squirrely. And then she's like, what kind of data are we? You know, then Shaw apologizes. So Bill looks at them a little weird because like, wait, he's getting some weird vibes. He's like, I don't know how you do what you do, Kai, but I do know that when a little squiggly line shoots off the top of the page like that, it means something. And she's like, the only time she saw isotopic readings like that was in the Philippines. It's what led them to the wreck of the Lawton, that big sh crash ship. So Shaw's like, so is this a Titan? And Kai's like, it's definitely not a Titan. And Shaw's like, well, that's not really an answer. And if, if it's not one of their bogeys, then what is it? Bill says, the three most beautiful worlds in the English language. I don't know. Kai says that they need to get to Japan. And Bill's like, yes. And Shaw's like, now? It's like, we're presenting our budget proposal to the committee on Friday. It's like, you heard what General Puckett said. And she's like, I don't care about Puckett. Bill suggests that Shaw handle it. You know, he, he can do the song and dance or whatever. And she's like, divide and conquer. You stay and deal with the hardware store. And he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, I'm not letting you go on a tight hunt alone. And then he, you know, realized Bill's her. He's like, or you, both of you. And uh, I, f I forgot if it was Bill. I think Bill's like, we need money to hunt the Titans, but we need to prove Titans exist to get the money. So for the good of Monarch, something's got to give. Then it's 2015. Alameda Point, the FEMA housing place. Kate is is walking and talking with May and Kentaro. May says that it's, uh, she's like, it's, it's, in the middle of the Sahara. And Kate's like, well, it's not the middle middle. Kentaro's like, yeah, it's more like north middle. And May says that it's still a big des desert. And Kate's like, yeah, but we have dad's map. And May's like, well, how are you going to get there? And, you know, they entered the house when she says that. And you hear Shaw's like, get where? And Kate's like surprised because the ball's standing there next to him. And, and then she's like, mom. And Kentaro's like surprised and relieved. He's like, Colonel. And Kate calls her mom again. Shaw's like, your mom's fine. She's out throwing pots with her new boyfriend, or that's what they're calling it these days. Kentaro's like, how did you escape? And he's like, you know me, a little help from the outside and sometimes a little from the inside. Kate's like, what's she doing here? And Shaw's like, well, 
Michelle, so I guess her name is Michelle, Michelle Duvall. Michelle's dancing on the side of the angels now. Pretty respectable dancer too. May just like gives her a look because she's like, uh, what's going on? And he's like, we can use her help. And Duvall's like, something's coming. And Shaw's like, G-Day times 100, maybe times 1,000. And I think your father's trying to stop what's coming. And I got a pretty good idea how he's going to do it. The only way to know for sure is to find him. And Kate's like, she tried kidnapping me. And uh, Kentaro's like, she threatened my mother. Shaw's like, on Monarch's orders, but she's not taking order from Monarch anymore because she's with us. It's like, and you can trust her. Besides, she's our ride. Now all we need is a destination, which is, of course, where you come in. So then in San Francisco, after Dad's office, that deputy director, Verdugo, whatever, she's like, cell phone data, track them here. And she tells Todd, she's like, Don't dazzle me, Columbo, or something like that. He's like, I know you meant that as a burn, but I actually love Columbo, and I take that as a compliment. And she's like, you need friends. He's like, I have friends. She says, not internet friends. She's like, so why'd they come here? What are they looking for? So Todd thinks, he's like, Hiroshi has an expensive office, the million-dollar view, but sits with his back to it? Why? And he's like, so he can stare at whatever was here. Because there's like a clean, empty spot on the wall where the map was. And then he finds a, like a flag pin. And then, of course, he looks where the holes run the pins in the walls. And he starts somehow getting idea. He sees a pattern. This is r ridiculous. This really bothered me about this episode. It's like, it just, it really took me out. Because he, he's looking, he's like, oh, it's familiar, right? And Todd's like, what did Hiroshi do to get exiled from Monarch? He's like, his file is sealed. And she's like, he wasn't exiled. And she's like, misuse of government assets. He kept retargeting deep space satellites to look at things that he wasn't, or they weren't supposed to. And, and he's like, like what? Like Earth. So they were supposed to be pointing at space. Then she says, uh, electromagnetic spectrum, cosmic radiation. Todd's like, gamma rays. And he's like, that's what Barnes detects coming from places it shouldn't. I think I know what they were looking at. Then he, he like made a map on a wall. He says that the, the holes are places that Monarch has or ever had boots on the ground. So this, again, this is just ridiculous that he can figure that out. Because when you have a map, it's like, it's all about the scale of the map. It's like... Oh, just, just, I think that just, I don't know. He's like, but these are clusters. He's like, I bet if we put, pull the data on everything Hiroshi was redirecting to satellites, we would get a perfect match. So she takes out her phone. Uh, she talks about G Day, and he's like, you know, after G Day, Godzilla swims west, energy spike. Then Hiroshi flew north. Antlers, you know, clusters where we found Shaw, and and the, and the, the, the kids in that new Titan. He's like, so they're looking for their father. So where are they heading now? And he, he, he's like, think of it as, as subway stops. There's three more stops. And, and of course, one of them is the Sahara. So Verduga tells someone to redirect the satellites to where, to, you know, to, to, to the first guy that she was talked to or something like that. So if there's three other places, how are they going to know which one to go to? Then it's like the Hataruma Islands or something like that in the past. Bill and, and Kai approaches like little boat there's like this big metal like mine like big thing under this dude uh this is dr suzuki he recognized her and he apologized for not being better, better prepared for her he says that you know the locals are too scared to deliver his mail now and then he says you know welcome to monster island then later they're like arguing about the data she says they're wrong and the dude says they're not and she says 
that if they're not, then that means physics is wrong. And Suzuki says that he thinks it's more like incomplete. He made a radiation simulator. So the more he generates, the more whatever is out there generates in reply. So he calls a response. She's like, the clever man made a Titan phone. And then uh, Bill's like, or this lunatic made Titan bait. At the Algerian desert, Shaw's driving this like truck. Kate is next to him and says that, you know, they're in the right space. So he like smiles and she's like, what? He's like, I put in a lot of miles over the years with you Randa girls. Wouldn't have made it this far without you. And she's like, that makes two of us. In the back of the truck, May says to Duvall, she's like, this wasn't part of our deal. When do I get to go home? And Duvall's like, circumstances have changed. I'll keep my word. And May's like, yeah, when? And she's like, as soon as we make it out of the desert together. So they, they drive up. There's like some tents and there's like a guy waiting there. Shaw calls him Scotty. And he, he hands him like a belt with like some equipment. Kate's like, what's going on? And she's like, I don't want anything to do with any arm, armed monarch goons. And Duvall kind of walks back by and it's like ex-monarch goon. So Shaw's like, all the apples in a monarch barrel aren't bad, Kate. Mademoiselle isn't the only one fed up with how things are being run now. So she's like, the colonel is starting a movement. And Kate's like, we're not here to start a movement, okay? And Kantaro's like, are you mad because he got us some help? And she's like, yeah, because every time I think we're searching for dad, it turns out there's some monarch business in a way. And Shaw's like, sorry, all these roads are tangled up together. They all lead to one place, but you're the ones with the map. I could have taken it any time I wanted, but I haven't done that, have I? But if this was where you went off, just know the consequences on your head. And she's like, what consequences? He's like, thousands, maybe millions of lives lost that your grandfather and father were trying to save. Duvall walks by and kind of gives like May a look. So May says, okay, she's like, if you want to bail, you can. But I, w I wanted to in Alaska. And then someone said, nut up or pack a sun hat. You know, only way out is through. And Kate like looks at May then hands the map to Shaw and walks on. So May starts to walk and Shaw's like, thanks for the help. Uh, Shaw starts thinking back to the 50. Bill calls Shaw on the radio, says that the fish are biting. And Shaw's like, he's ask, trying to ask how like Keiko's doing, but either Bill, Billy didn't hear it or something like that, because he's, he's talking about like dropping a line. Then um, he, Shaw starts trying to ask about Kai again, but then he just stops. Then he's like, what exactly, what kind of fish are we talking? And Bill's like, a real big one. He's like, wish you were here, pal. So we see the general. He's barbecuing in his yard. Shaw shows up in his uniform, and the general's like, I don't recall receiving your RSVP for my family cookout, Captain. So Shaw, like, suits him. He's like, sir. He's like, oh, stand down, Lee. He's like, we're in my backyard. He's like, hot dog? He's like, uh, no, thank you, sir. So Puckett sees, like, Shaw has an envelope in his hand behind his back. So Shaw's like, my people are, are in the field and need me, sir. And General's like, no, we have men for that, Lee. We call them the army. And Shaw's like, not the army, sir, just me. He's like, you want to sleep under stars? Be a cowboy? I see great things in your future, Lee. You got to sit in the, at the grown-ups table if you want them. It's called building a career. And Shaw's like, monarch is my career, sir. And then General's like, then stop treating it like a job. Every military organization, there are generals and there are soldiers. Oh, I understand that, sir. You could have fooled me. Now you have a choice to make. And I trust you to make it. Understand that what you choose will affect choices I have to make. You make the wrong choice, I will act accordingly. 
but you make the right ones, you get to run Monarch your way. So 2015, they arrive at the location. Shaw says that he's sure that this is a spot on the map. He tells Kentaro, he's like, that means that only his dad can tell them. So he's like, I think it's just over this ridge. Kentaro sees something and he points. Shaw looks at his binocular. There's like a truck, like some device in the back. And her dad is there. So he turns and Kentaro yells, like, Dad! Um, Kate's like calling him. Shaw like whistles. And then Hiroshi starts like waving. And he's like telling him to go back. But then Shaw realizes what that must mean. Because at first he's like, he thinks they're just waving. Then he's like, he puts binoculars down. So in the past, that Suzuki dude's Titan phone thing sits in the middle of the water on the boat. The readings are are flat, but they're sort of going to have to wait. He asks them if they ever saw one, like for certain. Kai's like, yes, we have. They are terrifying. And Suzuki's like, great. He's like, miracles should be terrifying, which is why it's terrifying miracles. He's like, don't you think? And Billy's like, uh, guys, something is coming, and it ain't coming from the water. So it's 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 Lee Shaw. Billy says that he didn't think he was going to make it. He's like, how does Serenade go with the big wigs? You know, it's like, I thought that was today. And he's like, it is. So Billy introduced him to uh, Suzuki to Shaw. Suzuki mentions a gamma ray simulator. And then Billy tells him, he's like, we should go for a walk. And it's basically so Shaw and, and Kai can ha- have time to talk. They look at each other. And, you know, she's like staring at him. Then she turns away and like walks off. 2015, Shaw says that he thinks he's waving them off and Hiroshi starts packing up the equipment and he gets in the truck and Shaw yells, he's like, we got to go, 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 go. We got to go now. Then there's a chopper overhead with several soldiers and Todd and he starts cackling. He's like, there they are. Ha ha ha. Columbo, baby. It's like, oh my gosh, you're so annoying. In 54, Shaw walks up to Kai like on the, on the little dock by the water. She's like, you weren't supposed to come. He's like, my place is here with you, Kai. You need, and she's like, what? Your, your protection? He's like, that's my job. And she's like, no, your job is to protect Monarch. And he's like, without you, there is no Monarch. And she's like, tell me that's not why you're here for me. And she like turns and she sits like on a bench. He sits next to her. She's like, you know we can't do this. He's like, we can try. And she's like, how long until either of us make a decision based on what we want to do instead of what Monarch needs? Shaw's like, you don't trust me? She's like, I don't trust either of us. If we can't put the great good before our own desires, we risk losing everything. He's like, I don't care. And she leans forward and then smooch. She's like, yes, you do. But then it stopped. Like, she's like, the device, it stopped. So she stands. She's like, or he's like, where is it? And then it pops out of the water, comes flying at them. Shaw has to like pull her down. It's like, just like barely goes over the head, like smashes like a bunch of like stuff. And then you see like, popping out of the water there's a bunch of spikes so i'm like wait is that godzilla shaw's like we didn't kill it jesus we didn't kill it and kai like look she almost looks like she's relieved because you know she felt bad about the, the, the godzilla got blown up but if it's there is that a good thing the chopper circling um above the others and someone's like wait don't land the ground starts like cracking and Shaw and the others like kind of like fall to their knees from like just the shaking. The ground starts to shift. They get up and try moving, but then they start sliding. One soldier um, gets hit by this boulder. There's like a landslide now. So the, tr- the truck's like actually like, tumbling down. 
they're rolling now the truck like rolls like at them just like barely they barely dodge it's like goes like right barely over their head kate gets up and like turns and then there's like a bunch of like dust near they're all kind of frozen and godzilla's just like he's just there he's just like breathing and you see an eye looking at wait it's like is that eye staring at kate it, it starts to get up and todd yells at the pie he's like pull up pull up one of the blades of the helicopter hits one of the, uh, the spikes on Godzilla's back, starts to go down. Godzilla, like, roars. Kate seems surprisingly calm. You know, I would think that she'd be freaking out with all, like, the like PTSD that she's having. Godzilla turns. His tail, like, swipes over, like, their heads, barely, like, misses them. And Kate's like, did you see? He saw me. And Shaw's like, yeah, he did. And Godzilla just continues walking away. In 1954... Shaw, Kai, and Billy, they're walking down this hall, and Shaw's like, you know, we, we can't keep them in the dark. And Kai's like, why not? And he's like, I know how you feel about Puckett, but this changes everything. And she's like, I don't agree. And Shaw's like, the most powerful weapon this country's ever created could, could, couldn't bring that thing down, so we can't keep that to ourselves. She's like, so we tell them, and then what? They build an even bigger weapon and try again. If that doesn't work, an even bigger one. And if they can't find Godzilla, maybe they find someone else to use it on. Shaw's like, I wasn't supposed to go after you two. And I certainly wasn't supposed to come back empty-handed. So I need something. We need something, anything that I can put in front of Puckett so we can get our asses out of the doghouse. And then she's like, all right. And he's like, all right, let's get our poop together. He's like, I'll talk to Puckett. They go into like their the big work area place, but it's like full of others. This this guy's like, gentlemen, doctor, just going over some of your field reports. Some wild stuff in here. Bill's like, uh, what's going on? Dude's like, when the Navy, we call it change of command. During Captain Shaw's unauthorized absence, uh, General Puckett handed operational command and control a Project Monarch to me. I expect a full report and accounting for your little field trip on my desk by end of day. Kai like turns and whispers to Shaw. She's like, what have you done? In 2015, Shaw returns to the others. Kate asks if he found anyone. And he's like, no one survived a crash. And we're running out of time. Does that mean Todd's gone? Columbo baby. He's like, we need to find out where Godzilla is going before the monarch does. So we need to move now. And he's like, you know, holding the map up. He's like, this is going to lead us to him. And she's like, that map belongs to us. And he's like, no, this map belongs with me. Or actually, I think Kentaro said the map belongs to him. Kate's like, so we chase Godzilla? Then what? More people die? We can't stop him. And Shaw's like, stop him? He's like, Jesus, Kate. I'm trying to help him. And May's like, you're insane. And he's like, what I am is done debating. But if you come with me, you'll know everything. I promise you. And Kate's like, no. The only place we're going is after our father. And May's like, I'm out. And Duvall gives May a look. And then they all look at Kentaro. He's like, I'm going with them. So Shaw's like, I'll leave you plenty of water and food. You won't need it because civilization is just 10 clicks that way. He's like, you go now. You'll be there long before dinner. Lonzi. Shaw and Duvall turn. They, they turn over like one of the, the little truck things. And they get in. The three start walking, and Katara's like, do you think he was waving us away? Kate's like, I don't know. And he's like, he just took off. And she's like, maybe he was running from Godzilla or trying to lure him away from us. At least we know he made it this far. So did we. He's alive. 
So we keep looking. And he's like, how many clicks have we gone? He's like, no idea. So he's like, how are we going to find him from here? We don't have any money or phones. How are we going to find dad without a map? And Kate's like, well, someone always seems to have a backup of her backups. You wouldn't let us down, would you, May? And she stops walking. And Kate's like, it was a joke. And she tries grabbing her hand. May's like, I can't do this anymore. It's my fault. And Kate's like, what do you mean? And she's like, seriously, I sold you out. Just just hear me out, okay? A couple years ago, I pissed some people off. And I let some people down. And I had to run. I said, I, I ran and, and I ran to Japan and I lied about my life, about my name and who I was. And I was living a nice and quiet life until Monarch figured me out and they picked us up. They, they left a deal on the table. And they said that if I told them where we were, I could go back home and I could get my life back and I could be with my family. And so, yes, I sold us out and I'm the reason they found us. Kate's like, the only way out is through... May's like, look, I have money. And she's like, I don't want your GD money. May's like, listen, I have a lot of money. And I never touched it because the wrong people could find me. But I don't care anymore. It doesn't matter. I can get us where you want to go. And Kate's like, go to hell. And she's like, Kate, I'm sorry. Kate. And they just walk off and that's where it ends. So, I don't know what that means. Um... And what, like, what did May actually do? So it's just kind of weird, but I guess we'll find out. Or actually, I mean, if you're caught up, you might know already. But that was the end. So it, it's uh, I'm enjoying. I, I love the fact that you know we're seeing Godzilla in this, but it's not called Godzilla. It's called Monarch. It has nothing. So I, I think that that's smart because it isn't just about Godzilla. And um, I, I really feel like I should watch the 2014 Godzilla again because it's it's been probably since like 2014 since I've seen it. Then with Percy Jackson and the Olympians, Season 1, Episode 3, we visit the Garden Gnome Emporium. Percy, I think he's looking around like Poseidon's attic or somewhere. Maybe it's not. There's a lot of old stuff. It's like dark. And there's like something with a long hair. At first I thought it was like a person like sleeping in a chair. But maybe it's like some sort of decoration. And Percy introduced himself and he's like, nice to meet you. I was told a quest isn't a quest till you've said so, which is weird considering considering you're a Halloween decoration. Then it starts moving and sits up. He's like, oh, geez. He's like, yeah, you seem busy. I'll come back. It, the closed caption says that this is the Oracle. It, like, It's breathing raspily. Green smoke comes out of its mouth. And Percy's like, come on, really? So there's a, he sees an image of like his stepfather. What's I forget his name. Was his name Todd? I don't know. And he's like, Percy, you shall go west and face the God who has turned. And you shall find what was stolen and see it safely returned. So then Chiron is telling a, a group of kids that the Oracle has confirmed what they expected. The quest will proceed towards the underworld where, and he's like, where you will confront the God who has rebelled against his brother, Hades. He's like, the entrance to the domain lies under the city of Los Angeles. Of course, right? He's like, time is short. I have selected our most compelling candidates from which you will choose to to join you on this quest and ensure that we succeed. And Scott's, or Scott, first he's like, Annabeth. Chiron's like, customarily, one waits to at least hear a name or two before choosing. Are you sure you don't want to hear more? And Percy's like, this thing, Zeus, Zeus's master bolt, we need to get it back, right? Yes. 
and it's going to be hard to get yes and he's like extraordinarily and if if the mission required someone to push me down a flight of stairs for it to succeed you'd want someone who won't hesitate to do that that karma's like the first quest mate shall be annabeth chase now onto the other candidates so it's it's weird though if this is like some big important quest you're gonna send some kids and like percy who is extremely inexperienced and it doesn't matter if he's a demigod or whatever he's still a kid so it just seems weird that they're not going to send any like big firepower whatever and they're going to friggin' hades the, 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 the underworld and so the, the scene cuts to Grover. He's like scooping up horse poop or something like that. Percy walks up. He's like, hey. And Grover's like, hey, sorry, I missed your selection ceremony. He's like, I've been shoveling poop because he kind of got in trouble. So Percy's like, yeah, sorry to hear that. I guess Mr. D wasn't too happy you told me about my mom. And Grover's like, no, no, he was not. He's like, so who'd you choose to go with you? And Percy's like, you. And Grover's like, funny. He's like, no, seriously, who'd you choose? And Percy's like, I choose you. And Grover's like, why? So, so um, Percy thinks back to the Oracle's stepfather's like, you shall be betrayed by the one who calls you friend and fail to save what matters most in the end. Percy's like, I, I trust you. And uh, right now, nothing's more important than that. So Percy's, he's at Poseidon's house. He's like packing up. Luke comes in. And then he's like, how much money did they give you? So Percy looks at, you know, a little bag. He's like, uh, $200 in cash and a bag of these? So they look like gold coins or whatever. He's like, I think they're Canadian maybe? Or from Chuck E. Cheese? I'm like, I don't know. Looks like they're golden drachmas. You know, dollars for human world, drachmas for mythic world. Don't mix them up. Luke hands him a box. And there's like red Chuck Taylors in, inside. Percy's like, these are interesting. Luke grabs one and holds it like close to his face. He's like, Maya. And then a wing kind of grows out of sight and starts like flapping. And Percy's like, those are interesting. So Luke's like, a gift from my dad. And then he's like, Maya. And then the wings retract. Percy's like, I thought about choosing you before choosing Grover. And Luke's like, hey, Grover's a lot stronger than people think. Percy's like, I was afraid. I have a chance to rescue my mom from Hades. I can't let anything stop me, and I'm afraid if it gets in the way of the quest, Annabeth might try to, and, you know, you told me that you'll always be on her side no matter what, and Luke's like, it's okay, really, I get it. Just take care of each other out there. So Annabeth is, like, by this tree before they leave. You know, Percy and Grover are just, like, hanging back. Percy kind of jokes to Grover that he's like, oh, she's really going to miss that tree. So it turns out the tree is Thalia, that, you know, she was protecting them from 80 sisters, like some Furies. And then Zeus intervened at the last minute and changed her into a tree. And Annabeth says that, you know, she was brave and she was a great fighter and she met her hero's fate. Um, she And she's like, you know, tells Percy, you know, you're not Thalia. And Percy says that she didn't meet a hero's fate. She met a pinecone's fate. And Annabeth says that, you know, he needs to listen and do what she says and, you know, maybe he'll survive this. And she starts like walking and Percy says, Grover's like, does she think she's in charge? And Grover's like, who'd you think would be in charge? And Percy's like, I, I guess I assumed we'd do a show of hands or something. So Grover narrates that a hero's quest is a world-defining event. You know, they have made and broke broken empires. They've altered the course of human civilization. They changed the balance of powers uh, on Olympus. 
uh, a quest is a sacred thing, you know, then we see them, they're like in a cab, they get out of the cab in New York City, they head to like Port Authority bus terminal. As the girl was like, to be charged with one, with a quest, is to be in conversation with the gods themselves. On the bus, Percy's kind of complaining because they're like at the back of the bus and they're, you know, the, the stink of the bus bathroom. And he's like, if this is so important, why didn't Chiron spring for plane tickets? Seems kind of like low priority. And Grover's like, sorry, I assume someone told you. And Percy's like, told me what? And Grover's like, Percy, this isn't just the monsters who are going to be trying to stop us. You're a forbidden child. Zeus might decide to take a shot at you himself. You know, the sky is his domain. You know, next thing you need is, you know, be us to serve you in a, a silver platter. And he's like, oh, I didn't think about that. The bus stop, Annabeth uh, says that you know, she's going to go get snacks. And Percy, you know, he, he wants to get off. He's like, it stinks back here. And she's like, the monsters can't smell you through that. So he's like, well, I, I think we should vote. And she's like, there's no voting. And S S Percy's like, I don't think you should just get to decide we don't vote. And Annabeth's like, I'm sorry to hear that. He's like, I want to decide whether you decide we don't get to vote. And Grover's like, I really don't want to be the tiebreaker. He's like, I have a better idea. He starts like clapping and he starts like singing. And it's he's like, it's a consensus song. He's like, verse two and three gets them to say nice things about each other. And they're both like looking at him. You know, they're like, what are you talking about? And then Annabeth's like, chips and soda okay for you guys? And they're both like, whatever. So Annabeth is in the little little convenience store at the bus terminal, what a stop. She she's picking up a bunch of junk food, you know, trying to figure out what to take. At the counter, she starts getting nervous, and she like looks like behind her. Uh, meanwhile, Grover's talking to Percy about trying to send some monsters before they sense you. And there's this lady behind Annabeth who seems, you know, kind of suspicious. Grover says that you know a a child of the big three, you know, Zeus, Poseidon, Hades is, is at the most extreme risk. A monster senses uh, kind of. It depends on uh, the monsters. So some are better at sensing your inadequacy, some your need for your glory, you know, your shame, wherever your armor's weakest, the monster's probably coming for that. that. You know, nothing will stop them, not even death. And then, then they're like, wait a minute, is that Mrs. Dodds at the front of the bus, like reading a newspaper? So then Annabeth's like, if you guys were better at your job, I might not have noticed you here so easily. And then uh, Mrs. Dodd's like, if Thalia were better at hers, there might not be a family of squirrels making her, her their home. And Annabeth is like, is that why Hades sent you here to gloat over a job you almost did right once? So Dodds is like, you're not the frightened little girl I came for all those years ago. And Annabeth is like, don't kid yourself. I wasn't that frightened. So Dodds is like, either way, now it would seem that you're exactly what they say you are, the pride of Athena's offspring. Perhaps the most formidable demigod child alive. So Annabeth's like, why are you here? So it's it's weird how they're talking because it's like, are they talking in her head? Because I don't think she was standing by her, but Dodds is on the, on the bus. So she's like, why are you here? And Dodds like, I'm here to collect your friend. So Annabeth's like, for what? And Dodds like, I, I don't question orders. You know, bring him in quick and quiet. That is what I was told. Lure him off this bus where I can take him quietly away from so many eyes. And your quest goes on unimpeded and unburdened. We both know he isn't going to be of any help to you and maybe even a hindrance. 
So at the at the back, Annabeth says that um, they need to open a window now. And at the front, Mrs. Dodds, she's in her wing form, and she stands up. Grover's like, oh, no. So they go to the row behind him. They pop out the emergency exit window. An alarm goes off. So the driver's like, tells everyone to leave their belongings, exit the front. Dodds, she's like trying to walk toward the back, like through all the passengers getting up front. So they obviously don't see her. They, they think she's just in her human form. Then another winged creature outside dives through the window. Annabeth throws a dagger at it. hits like in the shoulder, and it dissolves. So she just killed it. And then she tells them, it's like, like, let's go. They climb out the window. Percy uh, looks at Dodds and he grabs like the box of shoes and he jumps out the window. So now they're walking through the woods. They're walking on some like path. You know, Grover's talking about it's like a satyr path or something like that. So Percy w- wants to get out of the woods and find a, a phone to call camp. Annabeth's like, we're fine. And Percy's like, we're the opposite of that. Because he's saying, that, you know, it's like, we didn't make it to Trenton. And, you know, this happened already. And it's like, and who knew there was woods and jerseys? So Annabeth asks, she's like, why are you afraid of who you are? You know, he's not just a kid anymore. Just a kid doesn't do what he did to Clarice back at camp. Just a kid doesn't have Haiti sending top lieutenants to retrieve him. You know, he's part of something much bigger than they can understand right now. So they have to move forward whether he likes it or not, whether he wants to or not. And Percy's like, okay, if you don't want to call camp, fine. Uh, well, you know, why don't you call your mother? And she's like, excuse me? He's like, Athena, your mother? He's like, I'd call my father, but, you know, we aren't exactly on speaking terms, you know, because of years of neglect. He's like, you and your mother seem close, so why don't you ask her for help? And she's like, Grover, will you explain to your friend that he needs to pull himself together? So Percy's like, you can't ask her, can you? When was the last time she talked to you? And she's like, Grover? And Percy's like, I don't know why you keep pulling him into this. He's on my side. And she's like, what makes you think that? Percy's like, he's my protector. It's his job. And she's like, he was my protector first. And Percy's like, first? What do you mean first? And he's like, Thalia, Luke, and Annabeth had a satyr protector. That was you? He's like, why don't you tell me? And Grover's like, do you guys smell that? And they're like, wait, what? Because they think he's changed the subject. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, it's hamburgers. He walks forward. He's like, someone's making hamburgers in the middle of nowhere on a satyr path. Whoever it is, they're from our world. So they get to like, it's like a gas station like that. It's like Auntie M, E-M, Auntie M's gas station. Annabeth's like, oh, come on. Auntie M has a garden full of petrified stone folks. So she's like, yeah, this is, you know, someone from our world. All right. Anyone want to guess what M is short for? So they, they stop when they see like giant, uh, stone winged and like other creatures so Annabeth's like let's get out of here while we can then Dodds lands behind them like in her path and Percy like he, he hands the box over to Grover he pulls out his pen which immediately becomes a sword so it's like maybe he's got better he's getting good control over it Dodds like you should have accepted my offer when you had a chance and Percy's like offer what offer is she talking about and but uh, Annabeth doesn't answer it Says, you know, Percy like looks at her. So then a voice is like, not today, friends, not on my doorstep. Dodds like extends a wing up to act like a shield. And Percy looks and this woman wearing this old like fancy hat with a veil comes out. Annabeth and Grover immediately look down. Then Percy does. So M says, if you have something to resolve, why not come inside and I'll help. Electo? So that that's uh, Mrs. Dodds. It's like, will you be joining us? And she's like, no, I didn't think you would. 
So it's like, she won't bother you as long as you're with me. But it isn't as though she'll leave either. Not if it means reporting that she failed to retrieve the son of Poseidon. And Percy's like, how did you... She's like, a forbidden child has been claimed. How long did you think the secret would keep? It's a pleasure to meet you, son of Poseidon. I'm Medusa. Percy starts getting curious. Annabeth's like, Percy, don't. She's a monster. She's like, we all choose who we make our monsters. But right now, that one wants to tear you limb from limb. And I'm offering you lunch. The choice is yours. So she walks back in her house. Percy's like, I, I think we can trust her. And Annabeth's like, what? And uh, Grover's like, dude. He's like, I can't explain it. I just, my mom used to tell me her story. And the point was always that she isn't what people think. And I'm definitely, you know, I definitely trust my mom. So I'm going in. You guys do what you want. Percy goes in. Then Grover follows. And Annabeth's like, Ugh. inside, there's a big table filled with like tasty treats. Medusa's in the other room. She said that she left snacks out while she gets something proper going. Percy whispers to Grover, he's like, do you think it's safe to eat? Grover's like, Percy, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm really hungry, and I'm ready to take that chance. So then uh, Annabeth walks in, and she's like, she says, it, it, is it the same for her? Percy's like, why? So Medusa walks in, she's like, are you concerned I'd hold a grudge against you because you're the daughter of Athena? It's like, you shouldn't be. We're not our parents after all. You and I might have more in common than you think. Please sit and eat. Percy's like, so if you're not a monster, what are you? She's like, a survivor. So he's like, you must be a little more than that. You know, there seems a fury out there that seems terrified of you. And she's like, because she knows what I think of her. And I don't like bullies. When one shows up on my doorstep, they end up spending a lot more time there than they planned for the gift the gods gave me is that I cannot be bullied anymore. Annabeth's like, what my mother did to you wasn't a gift. It was a curse. Medusa's like, you are loyal to your mother. And she's like, yes. You stand by her? Always. You love her? Of course I do. And so did I. So did I. You know the story about how I came this way? Grover's like, I do. And she's like, do you? And Grover's like, do I? So Medusa's like, Athena was everything to me. I worshipped her. I prayed to her. I made offerings. She never answered. Not even an omen to suggest that she appreciated my love. I wasn't like you, sweetheart. I was you. I could have worshipped her that way for a lifetime, in silence. And then one day, another god came and broke that silence. Your father, the sea god, told me he loved me. I felt as though he saw me in a way I had not felt seen before. But then Athena declared that I had embarrassed her and I needed to be punished. Not him, me. She decided that I would never be seen again by anyone who would live to tell the tale. And Beth's like, that isn't what happened. My mother is just, always. And Medusa's like, the gods want you to believe that. That they're infallible. But they only want what all bullies want. They want us to blame ourselves for their own shortcomings. Annabeth's like, that is not what happened. You are a liar. Somebody's like, something's burning. And Percy, she's like, would you give me a hand in the kitchen? I think lunch is ready. So Annabeth like shakes her head. Percy gets up and she's like, Grover, get ready to run. In the kitchen, Percy says that he's like, well, you know, 
And she's like, she's not normally like that. Well, she usually is, but but that was a lot. So Medusa's like, she's going to betray you. Sooner or later, people like her, they always do. Scott's like, I don't think she's like that. And she's like, then you'll be an easy mark for her when the time comes. So Priest's like, well, what do you care? Medusa's like, your mother and I were like sisters in a way, targeted by the same monster. So I find myself feeling protective of you. He's like, monster, my mom never talked about my dad that way. You know, and she's like, where is she now? Your mother, is she safe? No, she's not. And do you trust your friends? Will they let you make her safe if it conflicts with her quest? I could help you remove them from the equation so that you can be free of them if you ask me to. And she slowly turns, but Percy's gone. And then she takes her hat off. In the dining room, the shoe boxes open on the table. Medusa looks outside. She sees Dodd still standing out there. And she looks at the back of the house. So I guess they decided to go down in the basement, which uh, doesn't seem like like a good idea. Door creaks open, like flames go down, like the outline of the stairs kind of like light up the place because it's like pretty much pitch black. So they, they get startled because there's like a stone person down there. It turns out there are a lot of them down there. And they start going like deeper and deeper into this basement. Grover says that, you know, there's three of them and only one of her. She can't keep an eye on all three. So his plan is like to split up and draw her, so he's gonna draw her attention or something like that. Then uh, the signal will be when they hear him say Maya, but then he starts floating up because he just said it. He's wearing the shoes and the shoes kind of carry him away. So uh, Annabeth's like, so we're gonna need a new plan. From behind them, you hear Medusa's voice say, we are not our parents until we choose to be. So they start moving and she's like, you two have chosen a daughter of a self-righteous mother who chose self-righteousness for herself. And, you know, Medusa's hair is now hissing from like the snakes in her, but it's kind of hard to see because it's dark. She And she's walking without the hat. And then she's like, and you, you could have been, you could have shown your father what it means to stand up for someone you love. Percy's like ducked behind this crate. She's like, you could choose to save your mother instead of doing your father's bidding. She says that, you know, neither if neither will heed her lessons, and perhaps they'll be the lesson when she ships her statues to Olympus. You know, maybe that will get her point across even better. She approaches uh, Percy's hiding spot, and she's like, stand up. Let's have a look at you. So he stands with his eyes closed, and he has a sword in his hand. And then Grover crashes through. Annabeth appears she because she had on her, her hat that makes her invisible. She puts it on Medusa and she's like, now. So Medusa disappears. Percy swings the sword. Um, something like falls to the ground. And Percy like starts feeling around and he picks something up. And she's like, you found it? He's like, I hope so. So he goes outside and Annabeth says to make sure that it's pointing in the right direction when he takes the hat off. He goes outside. Dodds like leaps at him. Percy takes the hat off and holds up the severed head. Dodd turns to stone and like falls and like cracks a little. He puts the hat back on Medusa's head. Downstairs, Grover found a statue of his uncle Ferdinand, who he kept talking about and everything. So I guess he didn't make it very far. So he says that you know they should keep going. It'll be dark soon. Percy asks, well, you know, what did he do with the head? 
you know, he's like, I just took down a fury without even trying. We can't just leave it for someone to find. And he's, you know, he's like, you know, keep the hat on and bury it in the basement. He's like, that ought to keep it safe. And, and, and it's like, sure. Now, can we talk about the bigger issue here? You could have saved your mother. It's like, that's what she said to you? Like you discussed it already? Is your mother still alive? And Percy's like, she's with Hades. And he's like, I appreciate your concern. And Grover's like, guys, please stop. And Annabeth's like, oh, I'm concerned. Why are you actually on this quest? And why did I have to hear about this from Medusa? Percy's like, okay, while we're at it, you should have accepted my offer. What's that about, you think? And why do we have to hear about it from Electo, Mrs. Dodds? And per, per, Grover's like, enough. He's like, the hat was a gift from her mother's. It's the only thing she's ever possessed that connects them. That ought to matter to you. And Percy's like, okay, but how are we going to make sure this thing is safe? And Grover's like, I'm not up to that yet. And you, really? His mom's alive? Can you imagine how confusing it must be for him, feeling like he may have to choose between the fate of the world and the fate of the only person who's ever cared about him? And Beth's like, why are you talking like this? He's like, because all day I've been trying to keep this quest on track without upsetting either of you. But maybe things need to get a little upsetting or unsettling before they move forward. And he mentions to Percy that, you know, he never answered Annabeth's question. He's like, you know, what is he so afraid about? And Percy's like, I don't know. And Grover's like, I think you do. You've been fighting with her. You've been fighting with me. And Percy's like, because the Oracle said, one of you would betray me, okay? You shall be betrayed by one who calls you a friend and you shall fail to save what matters most in the end. I chose her because I couldn't imagine we'd ever be friends. And I chose you because I thought if I can count on anyone to be on my side, no matter what, it was you. And now I'm feeling so alone and I don't know what to think or who to trust. So there's a silence. And then to Annabeth, he's like, I didn't mean it that way. So then Annabeth's like, Electo offered to help our quest if I gave you up to her. And Percy's like, what did you say? She's like, I killed her sister. So Percy's like, Medusa offered to help save my mom if I turned on the two of you. Annabeth's like, what'd you say? He's like, I cut her head off. And then Grover's like, you didn't choose to be demigods. We didn't choose this quest. But we can decide that as long as the three of us are together, none of us are going to be alone. If we can't do that, we might as well head back to camp right now because we won't make it. Percy's like, I think I have a better idea what to do with this. So he's looking at this ledger on a table. It's like Hermes Express. She ships these things all, all over. Some go to Olympus. And Beth's like, Percy, you can't ship Medusa's head to Olympus. He's like, why not? It's like, because the gods won't like it. And Grover's like, at all. And Percy's like, that's what you do with dangerous stuff, like batteries. You can, you can just send them back to where they came from. And Beth's like, this is a bad idea. They will see this as impertinent. And he's like, I am impertinent. Besides this way, a part of your mom's is still with us. So he hands Annabeth her hat after he puts the head in the shipping box. And she's like, thank you. So then we see this shipper dude, delivery guy, he's carrying the box. He's like at the Empire State Building. He uses a, like a key to go to the penthouse. Then at the top, the elevator chimes, Mount Olympus Causeway. The door opens, delivery guy, you know, he kind of smiles. He's like, you guys are not going to believe this. And that's where the episode ends. So at the Empire State Building, it's like some gateway to Olympus, I guess.
So um, that, that was a, it was a good episode. You know, I'm, I'm just thinking about it. It's almost like not a whole lot happened. You know, they didn't get very far in request. But, you know, we did have this whole thing with Medusa, which was pretty cool. We had the return of Dodds. But it looks like maybe this time she's not going to be coming back. And then uh, strengthening of, of the three kids. I still still think it's weird that only three of them are allowed to go on the quest. But I guess, you know, whatever, they, they have their crazy rules and all that. But they, I feel like they, they just helped them make a connection. So hopefully, you know, that's going to help them. But the whole thing about being betrayed, because if they do become friends, like, who, which one's going to betray them? So... Um, I, I totally don't remember. I feel like I should watch the movie, but I don't want to like spoil things because I totally don't remember how the movie even ends. So if you've watched the movie, read the books, maybe you know what's, what's coming up, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the show. I think they're doing a really good job with it. All right, then Doctor Who, uh, special number four. So I guess I think that's what they're calling it. The Church on Ruby Road. Uh, so I guess I'll, I'll start with my thoughts at brief uh, thoughts. Maybe I'll mention more at the end if I remember Uh new doctor. I'm, I, I, I think I'm digging them. There's some aspects where I don't know how I feel. I mean, it, it's, it's different and it's, it's important for each doctor to have a different type of personality. So it is something it's not just the same thing because they, they, I, I feel like, whenever a new actor comes along, they should try to do something to make the character their own. Uh, at the same time, they shouldn't try to be like super, like just like extreme, you know, different just to be supremely different. So there's just some things like, like uh, I'll mention this one part where it just it seemed weird for the doctors. There's a couple parts. there's part. The doctor's actually singing. Mm. <laughs> that was a, uh, that was a little, little weird. So, I don't know. And we are seeing the doctor getting a little more kind of like touchy-feely. Because in, in the beginning, when you look look back, I mean, even, I mean, for me, it was like, you know, John Pertwee and you know, Tom Baker and even Peter Davidson. I mean, so with, with John Pertwee and, and Tom Baker, they and especially Colin Baker, they were always a little like aloof. Tom Baker was a little more... I, I guess, you know, they, they weren't that bad. Colin Baker was, I mean, he was such a jerk at the beginning. Peter Davidson was was a little more, you know, he, since he was younger, he's a little friendlier, you know, with with Tegan and Astrid, or not Astrid, Adric. And uh, what was the other? There was another, another gal with them. And then uh, Sylvester McCoy, he was, you know, whatever he was. And I guess if you go jump to Christopher Eccleston, you know, he was a little, little cold in the beginning. But then he kind of warmed up a little bit when Rose, you know, came came along. And David Tennant, obviously. But, you know, uh, so we're seeing since, you know, Jodie Whittaker, when, when uh, David Tennant came back. And even, I, I guess you could say, Matt Smith was a little more friendlier, jovial. But with, with the return of... David Tennant, you know, there's a little more kind of, and maybe it was, you know, being a, a woman a doctor for a while, put, you know, since, you know, dudes are always supposed to be like, shut off your feelings, you know, you can't show your emotion, you can't do anything, you know, that's a whole stereotype, you know, the, the bro code or whatever. And we're starting to see the doctor kind of not necessarily soften up a little bit, because, you know, this, this doctor... Uh, Nukuti, I think that's how you say it. You know, he he's definitely got like an edge to him, 
and and you know being younger you know he's he's got that energy he can run around you know because there's you got to be able to run so you know there's something to be said about about all all that but because um there's like some revelations of his past like stuff that this could this coming out so i think that's that's knocking down some of his walls maybe so that that could be interesting to you know give a little little change of pace for the doctor all right, so let's just get to this episode. It, it starts off the doctor's narrating, you know, once upon a time on Christmas Eve, a stranger came to church on Ruby Road. She carried in her arms the most precious gift of all, a newborn child, a baby girl. Just before midnight, she left her daughter on the steps of the church. The child was taken in. They named her Ruby after the place where she was found. And as for the mother, she was never seen again. Which, that makes me wonder, I, I wonder... You know, if, does that mean anything or, or, you know, maybe, maybe not. No one ever knew her name until that, that night a time traveler came to call. So the TARDIS like materialized traveler known as a doctor. So then it's December 1st, 2023. Ruby's telling her story, uh, how she got her name. She's like on this like TV show type thing. At first I was like, is this a TV show? Is this a podcast? Cause it, but there's kind of like this, um, it's almost like they're like in a pub, like in a bar, like this, this set or something like that. So she says how she was found almost 19 years ago. So, so very young. What do you even call? They're not called companions anymore. Uh, even, and the other thing is like, is maybe she's just going to be in this one episode. So we'll, we'll talk about that. So she says she was found almost 19 years ago. She talks about how she's taken in. She was adopted. Uh, she says, you know, um, she's nuts, but she has like the best mom that she could ever had. Because, you know, mom kind of drives her crazy, but, you know, she's, she's the best. Talks about... Uh, them having to like leave London because of the costs, and you know she's still waiting for life to begin, which that could be a sign. Well, maybe traveling around a doctor could, could be a you know new beginning. And then this one dude asks if they can stop because there's like some radio or some and something interfering. He's getting some noise. It's like like voices or like a whisper. And then you know the host tells Ruby you know, it shouldn't be long. Then she's because she had called her a foundling and she asked if that was okay. And Ruby's like, like, Oh, it's fine. You know, so what she is, you know, she was found the dude uh, working, you know, he said that they're, they're, they're good to start up again. And the host says that the reason they do this show is to see if they can help her. Cause like in the old days, uh, foundlings were left without a trace, but now they, you know, they can really work magic with DNA. So, you know, if they've taken her sample, they're going to use it to help track her genetic heritage. And they're hoping to be able to trace her birth, uh, mother or father or someone in her family, uh, you know, they can't work miracles, though. And then this, uh, there's this lady, another lady working uh, off on a show off to the side. And she, like, set her coffee down. And this little critter hand, like, reaches for it. The host is continuing. Says, you know, even if they do make contact, they might not want to be found. The, the critter hand moves a cup to the far end of, like, the surface. And then um, another, I don't, I don't know if it's another critter or the same one, like, unplugs this big cable and then the cable's like pulled like out stretched out to like trip someone so the, the lady looks at her coffee cup and sees that it's been moved so she goes to to get it trips on a cable this causes this big light to fall over and then this other one um like heads right for ruby and you know she and the host duck and you know out of the way and the host asks Ruby if she's okay and she's like yeah you know she got lucky this other plug gets pulled and pull out and then the end whacks the host like in the back of her head it was like, you know, one of those like big, massive plug things. And then it jumps to December 22nd, 2023. So there's this Christmas party or something like that. Ruby's there. Um, so is the doctor. And the, the critter 
is like pulling on a plug. So Ruby's in a band on stage. She plays the keyboards. And then like the music cuts out because I guess the cable is unplugged. So then the next day, December 23rd, 2023, Ruby's at this other pub. She's like drinking. She's like up on this balcony and she sees a doctor dancing. And so it's weird because he's dancing. He's just wearing like a, like a undershirt, like a wife beater as, as they call him. And, and you don't normally see the doctor dancing like this. And it, I don't know. And the, the critter hand moves her drink closer to the edge of her table so she then you know she goes from the, the balcony to her table after you know looking over she knocks her drink over like off the table but the doctor catches it and he's like careful and she's like thank you she's like but you were just over there and he's like health and safety gin and tonic division and he like flashes his psychic badge thing and he's like can i ask does that happen to you a lot knocking things over and she's like all the time but i'm just clumsy he's like no 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 you're not it's worse than that and then he's like merry christmas and he walks away now, one thing that confused me, he says Merry Christmas a bit, and I was always an impression that they said Happy Christmas in, in England or London. Maybe that's not a thing anymore, because, you know, we in the United States say Merry Christmas, but I always thought they said Happy Christmas. Maybe, I, I, don't, I don't know, maybe it's, it's changed. So he walks away, she's confused. She sets her glass on the table, but she misses it completely, just shatters on the floor. So then outside... Ruby's like walking with her bandmates. Then they, they get into a, a taxi, you know, black cab or whatever. The doctor's like watching. So it's like, what's, what's, why is he being such a creep? <laughs> like, this is what I didn't understand. The light turns red and there's like this giant, like snowman thing hanging from, you know, it's like a decoration, big, huge decoration hanging from the side of the building and starts um, like leaning over. So there's a critter up on top because he, he pulled this pin out. So it's, it's about to fall uh, onto the taxi. So doctor, clicks this uh, device and, and makes the light turn green. So the taxi goes, but <laughs> there's this lady with a stroller walking and he yells, he's like, no, 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 go back. And he runs out the street. The lady moves, but the snowman head falls like right on top of him. Like, <laughs> and he like knocks the eye out and the lady's like, are you all right? And he's like, a pram at midnight? Really? And then the lady like pulls open the pram and shows it. It's like her shopping or something like that. She kind of like walks away in a huff then this this officer comes and i don't know if, if the there's any point to this if i should even mention this because i thought about it, it's like i'm going too specific sometimes when i do these recaps but this officer officer comes up says he's had to report this so the doctor's like okay he's like name the doctor occupation not a doctor current status just passing by employer myself he's doing it a little slower so he you know he can write this stuff down and he's like address that blue box over there he's like now if you don't mind I just got snowmanned and I would like to go home. So the officer like kind of follows him. Then he's like, he asks the doc, he's like, doctor, what? He's like, just the doctor. Then he's like, she's going to say yes. And the, and the officer's like, uh, who is? He's like, your girlfriend, when you ask her to marry you on Christmas day. And he's like, how do you know that? He's like, because my sonic screwdriver just went ping. And so the thing is, it doesn't look like a typical sonic screwdriver. And I guess they're, you know, probably doing that to be a little more variety. It's almost like a little handheld like device like a big giant key fob or something i, I don't even know how to describe it but it's it's like it is not screwdriver shape which kind of bothers me it's like then don't call it a screwdriver but whatever so it just went ping and um that the, even officers like that's a screwdriver and he the doctor's like which is sonic and that precise ping is detecting a two carat diamond in your pocket which seems weird that it would be able to do that. But it's like, okay. He's a soda doctor. like, which says it, it says engagement ring. He's like, and I'm guessing that she's a she because 91% of men wouldn't choose a diamond. 
So he's like, plus Christmas Day, it's obvious. And he's like, but how do you know she'll say yes? And the doctor's like, because the sales start on Tuesday and you just couldn't wait. And that's why she loves you. It's like, Merry Christmas again. instead of Happy Christmas. So he goes inside. It starts to tart us up. And he's like, doesn't even worry about the officer seeing it disappear and like what is going on. He's like, okay, whatever. So then it's December 24th, 2023. Ruby um, gets off the bus with a couple bags of groceries. Her neighbor, um, I think it was Mrs. Flood. You know, she complains about the, the police box on the sidewalk. So as, as she stops to talk to the neighbor, a critter hand like rips the, kind of puts a tear in the bottom of her bag. So when she walks, stuff's like spills out. And then her, inside, her mom tells her that they're having a baby today. There's another foster, a newborn. And mom says it's been years since they fostered one. So the baby arrives. She's called Lulu Bell. And a social worker says that, you know, maybe she would be with them for like, you know, five or six days. Um, mom's going to head out to story because they need like new diapers because Ruby's like, these are like whatever, six months older. So Ruby's in charge. Um, the Her mom, what's her mom's name? Clara? Um, her, her grandma or her mom's mom, Clara's mom, Cherry's also, she's like in bed all the time. She's been like she's wanting tea. She keeps asking for, for tea. So then, uh, the lady from the show calls her when, when Clara, when Ruby's mom's out, she's like, but it's not good news. There's no trace of her mom and dad. And Ruby's like, well, that's fine. She's like, you know, can you keep looking though? The lady's like, you know, there's nothing more we can do. And Ruby's like, isn't that unusual? You know, no trace in the whole wide world. And the lady's like, well, you know, there's one more thing. You know, she's like, have you been having bad luck? Because she's like, for her, it hasn't stopped since that day. So then the camera pans out. We see she's like in a wheelchair. She has a broken leg. She has a broken arm. And she says that she's been hit, thrown, bumped. You know, she fell off a boat on dry land. She's been in accidents. She's been collisions. She's even been trampled by a moose. So she can't help thinking it all goes back to when they met. And the lady, you know, she's like, how, how can, you know, you make, how can I make it stop? You know, I'm terrified. And then we see her Christmas tree falls over as a very sharp, like tree topper star. It's, and it's lined up straight for her head. So it goes over. We don't see it, but the line goes dead. And Ruby's like, okay. So she's standing in the kitchen and, you know, she turned on a baby monitor and she hears like the creature kind of talking. So she thinks it's just a glitch, but then she goes investigate and she finds the baby's missing. Lulu Bell is gone. So she, there's a, a Polaroid camera, uh, like under bed, and there's a close up of a critter, like it's kind of like just an eye and sort of like the nose, and then she sees something like zip up through the skylight. So she grabs a ladder, which happened to be nearby, I guess, and she looks and she sees like a baby basket on a rope being dropped down from somewhere. She also sees like two critters like on a, on a roof. The one has like a Santa's hat, and then she almost gets dizzy when she realizes that you know she's like, oh, I'm up on the roof. So she goes to the rope ladder that's hanging down, and then um, and it starts starts leaving. So she's hanging onto it, and the doctor now is on the rooftops running because you know, he just happens to be there at the right time. So he's running along the rooftops, you know, because it's like the townhouses, you know, houses are all connected. So as uh, the rope that's whatever she grabbed onto is like being carried away from something and he asks her he's like what are you doing and she's like a ladder just dropped down and he's like a ladder just dropped down and you thought you'd grab on and she's like they've got the baby he's reached like the end of the roof rooftop so he like leaps and he catches a ladder which uh surprisingly can hold them both because you know it would be, it's just like ropes and you know wood or whatever so she he's like 
what's your name? And she's like, Ruby, Ruby Sunday. He's like, hello, Ruby Sunday. And it's a Sunday right now. It's like, that's a coincidence. I'm the doctor. Hi. And she's like, I met you before. He's like, yep. So she mentions that there's creatures and he corrects her and says that they're goblins. And she's like, goblins. And then she's like, I can't hold on much longer. But it's like, they're just holding on to a ladder. So it's like, all you gotta do is hook your arm. So I don't know why, why she's having such a hard time you know, hanging on. So he said that he spent a lot of time hanging on to things. So he built something. He has, he takes out of like a pair of gloves. He says they're intelligent gloves. He's like, cause I thought to myself, what's the problem with hanging on? It's all the friction and the weight and, and the burns. So I got rid of that. So, uh, he said gloves are kind of like, they're like a super kinetic transfer of mass. So, you know, they each have one glove and there's like kind of like three lights on the, on the back. So he says the gloves take it takes all his weight. The weight is in the gloves. So nothing burns, nothing pulls, nothing hurts. He let, lets go with his other hand and he's just kind of like floating like as a, the ladder is being carried away. He asks her if she knows why they're called goblins. And she's like, no. And he's like, because they like to gobble you up. So he thinks that, you know, this lot wants to gobble up the baby. And then they, they go up and they're like, they go through the clouds and they can see this big, huge goblin ship. It's kind of like a giant pirate ship flying in the sky above the clouds. And then she's like, well, what will they do with us? He's like, oh, they'll probably eat us too. So the rope is raised up. And when they, they get to the ship, they see a bunch of like goblins sort of like in pirate-ish outfits. You know, like one has even has an eye patch. Uh, they, they look at them, they're confused. The doctor's like, hiya. And then they all start like growling and snarling at them. So the next scene, they're like tied to a post. She's like, I can't believe a single thing that's happened. And it's my birthday. He's like, it's your what? She's like, they're going to eat Lulubelle. And, and she's like, you know, what time is dinner? And he's, he says that he likes that name because uh, mom actually said it was like a horrible name. And, you know, she kept commenting on, on that. So the doctor says he likes this as a brilliant name. And she says it's a coincidence because, that, you know, that's her birthday. And he says that you know he's like learned a language he's like that's what why they went after lulabelle he's like coincidence is what makes the the baby tasty that's how these goblins work so chance and coincidence and luck that's how they spotted her you know she's been having a, a lot of bad luck yes and she's like it, it, it that started you know way back you know lulu just arrived today and she started having accidents weeks ago so the doctor's like you know that was you know paving the way these goblins are time writers so they can surf the waves of time they spotted a chance of coincidence and then they went back and they wove her in and she's like wait they caused my accidents were they trying to kill me and he's like no more like he's like well if you walk through a day without any bad luck that's fine you know that day's nothing but if you have lots of accidents it stitches you in it weaves you into the day you become all complicated and knotted up and vivid you know all of it leading up to a baby on christmas eve and she's like how do you know all this he's like i don't it's a brand new language like science and luck he's like i love it He's like, because, you know, what is coincidence but a form of, of an accident? Two people bumping into each other on accident, like you and I. And she's like, but you know, who are you? You know, why are you an expert in time-traveling goblins? He's like, oh, psh. He's like, they're not time travelers. He's like, excuse me? He's like, time travelers are great. Like, the best. Like, wow. He's like, this lot is, I think he's, he said they were just, like, bimbling. I don't know what that means. And then he, he gets free somehow. She's like, how'd you do that? And he's like, I spent a long, hot summer with Harry Houdini. And she kind of gives him this look. Okay, so what, is, what does that mean? A long, hot summer. When I hear that, maybe in my mind, I'm like, ho, ho, ho. So I, I don't know. And then my question is, I'm trying to think if the doctor's ever mentioned Harry Houdini before. He must have. But 
yeah, so I, <laughs> it sounds like it was a little more than just a you know, hot summer. Uh, so he unties her, but then he can't open a door with his sonic screwdriver. He's like, there's no screws, which seems weird. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, and he, he tries, like, he's looking, there's like all these ropes and everything. So he says he's trying to read the language of the rope. And then he asked her, like, what time she was born. And she's like, I, I think it was, like, 2 p.m., which I don't know how she would know if she just dropped off. I guess they could figure out, like, how old she was when they, I don't know. So then he, he he's like, what time is it now? She's like, well, oh, it's it's 5 to 2 now. So he feels, like, the different ropes. He's looking at everything. Then he pulls on one, whatever, and it kind of causes a chain reaction. And the door, like, flies open somehow. So they, they crawl through because, you know, it's everything's small. And then they go through what he says is a ventilation shaft. I don't know why they would need one on the ship. There's like this long gong. And then there's like a goblin band with like this goblin lady singing. So Lulabelle is being brought out like on this conveyor belt. All of the goblins, there's a ton of goblins in this room. And so at first I'm like, wait, there's this little baby. You know, they're talking about eating and everything like this. This little baby for like all these goblins. But then the singer is talking about the goblin king. So we see him at the end. He's huge. He's like massive. And the conveyor belt is actually headed towards uh, the Goblin King's mouth. So it's like the Goblin King's going to eat the baby, but they're not? I, I don't understand that. The doctors, he's working on some, some more different ropes. And then they both like drop down onto the conveyor belt because, you know, they're up above. And the music stops. And the doctor, he kind of gets up slowly, like hands uh, the baby basket to Ruby. He's like, do and curtsy? <laughs> he like says that. He introduces himself, says he's a doctor. This is Ruby Sunday. And then, then he's like, why'd you stop singing? He's like, Rocket Janice. Which I don't know if, if the goblin happened. Was his name Janice or whether he just said it? And then the doctor starts singing. He's coming up with lyrics like on the fly that, that go along with it. And Ruby even starts singing too. She's able to come up with lyrics. I mean, I guess she's in a band, so you know, you because you, you got to be quick, quick witted, quick. Is that what I'm trying to say? You know, to come up with with something that makes sense and to have it rhyme. This was a bit much. I, I don't think we need actually singing in Doctor Who. So they uh, then they put on the gloves. Um, you know, they reverse it so that they get heavy and then they drop down onto her, her rooftop because he had noticed that the ship was circling back for some reason so inside she wonders if they're safe now you know will they invade and he's like no he's like you know the world is up there he's like, he's like they creep into ours on the edges and but then he trips on his lamp and he catches it he, he's like that's you know how, how would they get you and she asks if they you know cause all the accidents and he gets an idea he asks if there's um something you know it's anything like in the kitchen anything burning so in in the kitchen he's look looks around he's like that's trapped he's like check everything he's like the, the wires and the plugs and then he like stops and you know marvels at all the pictures of the kids on, on the fridge that they fostered over the years and he's like you have the biggest family in the world and she's like how about you and he's like i've got no one which is kind of kind of sad he just like says that then he's like you know make sure the oven's off yeah so she says, uh, you know, she, and she's like, wait, don't leave the baby alone. He's like, well, you left it alone too. She's like, I know, but, <laughs> but don't leave it alone. <laughs> I thought it was funny the way she said it. Then uh, mom comes home and they all try acting inconspicuous and like that. She's like, oh, who's your friend? She's like, oh, this is a doctor. And he's like, hello. Then mom is like, is there anything wrong with the baby? And she's wondering why there's a doctor. And then she actually sees uh, the Polaroid of the goblin. She's like, what's this? And doctor is like, they're like, uh, he's like, oh, it's a toy. 
And mom's like, you know, she's too young for a toy. And she's like, where'd the toy come from? And they're like trying to think of what to say. And Ruby starts like kind of breaking out. And she's like, can we just stop? She's like, this has been the worst day. And it's, it's my birthday. And, and, you know, she's about to say something. Doctor's like, no, 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 it's fine. He's like, no need to worry your mom. And then Ruby talks to her. She's like, they phone, you know, from the TV show. It's like, they didn't find anything. No mom, no dad, no brothers, no sisters, no cousins, just nothing. And mom, you know, she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And she takes her, gives her a hug. And she's like, well, I'm glad they, you know, didn't find her. You know, that means you're all mine. And she asks the doctor, she's like, isn't she gorgeous? And he's like, yes. And, and you know, he doesn't say that in a, you know, whatever way. You know what I'm saying. And then mom says that, you know, she's been counting Lulubelle's the 33rd child she's fostered. She's like, they're all in the fridge. You know, you can count them. You know, some for days, some for weeks. Only one of them stayed. And she's like, and, and you made my life. You absolutely made my life. She's like, you can wonder about your parents, but I'd wonder who I'd be without you. And a doctor's like staring at, at Lulubel, And then he's like, I'm adopted. And Ruby's like, are you? He's like, yeah, I, I uh, only found out recently. Mom's like, that's a coincidence. And Ruby's like, oh, don't be saying that. So then mom, Clara, she's like, so do you know who your parents are? He's like, no, 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 I, I, was, uh, I was abandoned. And Claire, her mom's like, oh, you're a foundling just like Ruby, an even bigger coincidence. And there's like a loud crack of thunder outside. Ruby's like, uh, you know, maybe we better not, you know, talk about coincidence, okay? And the doctor takes a photo of the goblin, you know, from mom. She says that, you know, she'd rather focus on Lulubelle. And she's like, don't you just want to eat her up? And he's like, oh, that's a coincidence. A loud crash at the window. The ceiling starts cracking, like a big crack going down along. And the doctor tells him, he's like, do not move. He goes to the kitchen. He's like, they're gone. Parting gift. Mama's freaking out. So he's like, what are we, we're going to freeze. What are we going to do? It's Christmas Day or whatever. The doctor, he you know, goes back in the, the back room. He looks out the window. He's like, sayonara or something like that. And mom's like, who are you talking to? He's like, oh, no one. He's like, absolutely no one. He picks up the Polaroid of the, the close-up of the, of the goblin, and it's it's empty. So the mom's like, what the hell just happened? And the doctor's like, well, you know, maybe, you know, we should sit you down and tell you a Christmas story. And, she, and he's like, what do you think, Ruby? And he's like, Ruby? And he's like, where did she go? He goes out in the hall. He calls her name, goes to the stairs, and comes back in. He asks mom, like, you know, where is she? You know, where's your daughter? And she's like, Lulabelle's not my daughter. She, I'm only fostering her for a couple days. And the doctor's like, no, I mean your daughter, Ruby. And her mom, Clara's like, who's Ruby? He's like, your daughter. And she's like, I told you, this is Lulu. Yeah, she's a right, right old pain on Christmas Eve. Last thing I need. And he, he goes down the hall and uh, the mom comes out. She's like, what do you want in the spare room? So Ruby's room is, is like empty now. It's just like spare, just bare. He goes to um, Cherry, uh, mom's mom's. Uh, he's, he asked her, he's like, do you remember Ruby? And she's like, what are you talking about? He's like, your granddaughter, Ruby. And she's like, there's no picnic picnay here it's like we were never blessed and then the, the crack is kind of like healing up a little i think the doctor tries with with mom again and she says that she never had a daughter and he's like no you adopted her and mom's like oh don't be stupid and she's like i only foster now and then i've only done like five or six and he's like like no no he goes and looks at the fridge he's like they're gone all those lives you fostered 33 and she's like how many she's like not me darling she's like don't be stupid sounds like hard work she's like i just put in my name for the money he's like don't say that and she's like 800 quid 
you know, it's just me st stuck in the attic with my old mom. It's like, I'm busy. I couldn't have a kid full time. It'd be a nightmare. It's like, and this little brat is ruining my holiday. I was looking forward to it. You know, Christmas day, mom's asleep by three and, and I'll be on my own. It's like, why would I want a daughter when I'm happy as I am? And a doctor, he's like, like sad. And he's like, then why are you crying? And she's like, I don't know. And he's she's like, why are you? And he just like kind of scoffs and sniffles. He's like, they took the baby. They went back. They took the baby, the other baby. They went back in time and they took Ruby instead of Lulubelle. They, they cracked the timeline. He's like, but I will fix this. I will fix this. I will find you. So he leaves and he goes to the TARDIS. So then it's Christmas Day in the past. He sees Ruby's mother walking down the street. So we saw at the beginning. Um, goblin hands are at baby Ruby like by the church door and then they're like climbing up the church they're going up a ladder so doctor goes into the church climbs up he comes out grabs on he mentioned he mentioned earlier that his gloves are only at three percent so he's not gonna be able to do much he starts climbing but then actually he's not climbing he so he reversed it so he's actually pulling the ship down because reversing it can make things heavy i guess takes all the weight down or something like that inside the the ship the king's mouth's open they're chanting and everything like that the doctor's gloves are shorting out because they're running out of energy the ladder kind of breaks and then he's kind of lifted up a little bit but the ship is still coming down because he reversed to energy um and then the pointy tip of the church goes through the bottom of the ship and actually impales the king so he just killed the king he killed this goblin king and then the ship kind of cracks a little bit whatever and then uh, baby ruby falls and in the basket doctor manages to catch her and he brings her back to the church door. He tells Ruby that's okay. Gives her a kiss on her forehead. He's like, happy birthday. Runs back to the TARDIS. But he can still see the church door. He sees, a, you know, some minister, whatever dude, comes out and grabs a baby. You know, picks up Ruby. He also sees her mom walking down the street. And, and he, like, just stands there and looks at her. So it's like he could go up to her. But instead, he goes to the TARDIS instead of going after her. So I don't know if that means if, there's, if we're going to find anything out about that. So he returns to 2023. He's, he's now parked across the street instead of on the sidewalk. He uses a screwdriver, open the front door of the, of the place. He goes up to the top, uses the screwdriver on the flat door. There's still like a crack in the ceiling and he sees Ruby and he yells. He's like, there you are. He's like, happy birthday. And she's like, where'd you go? He's like, yeah, just turn around. You're, you're gone or whatever. And, she, and he's, she's like, what were you doing? He's like, a lot. He's like, they came and, and went back, you know, took you as a baby. So I went back. And then he's like, oh, I forgot something. He leaves. He goes back into the TARDIS. Then we see he catches a tree that almost killed Davina. Davina McCall, the TV lady. And he says, like, Merry Christmas or whatever. Goes back in TARDIS. Goes to Ruby's. And then he's, like, standing outside. So the neighbor, Mrs. Flood, she's, like, asking him what's wrong, whatever. He's like, you know, you're a busy man. And because you know she because she's seen the TARDIS leave and come back and she's not freaking out now at this point but then he's he says that he wonders if he's the bad luck inside <laughs> cherry finally got her her tea and mom wonders you know what are you going to do about the crack because it's like a wind tunnel and you know it's christmas day you know they're not gonna be able to get it fixed and she's like who was that man and she's like doctor what ruby's like what did he mean he went back and and her mom's like what sort of doctors like did he say Outside, the doctor's like, I better go. And he says to the neighbor, he's like, Merry Christmas. The neighbor's like, who are you anyways? And he's like, oh, no one's just passing by. And she's like, well, you take care. So the neighbor, okay, so you know, she doesn't freak out seeing the TARDIS disappear 
but she's like, who are you? So she doesn't know anything. Mom, Clara, whatever, she asks, you know, where did he come from? Why was he even there in the first place? And Ruby's like, so she says, no, he just kind of popped it up at the right moment. And then he was gone, like now. And she's like, it's all been so mad. I haven't actually had time to stop and think. You know, he says that I was taken as a baby. Is, is that what he just said? And her mom's like, I don't know. He's crazy. So Ruby's like, he went back. He said he went back. He's like, what did he mean? And then she's like, when, when was Houdini? And her mom's like, what? She's like, when was Houdini? Like 1900s, 1920s? He's like, how could he? And he talked about time traveler. And she's like, oh. She goes, grabs her jacket. She runs outside. And she's looking around. And she asks her neighbor. She's like, have you seen a man in a leather coat? Whatever else like that. And her neighbor like nods across the street. Tardis is still there. And then the door kind of cracks open a little bit. So Ruby walks over. She looks back at the neighbor who like nods. And then Ruby goes in. And she sees how big it is backs out closes the door and she like walks around the tardis like what like what the heck is going on and she looks at the neighbor neighbor's like good luck ruby and so ruby's standing there you know looking at her neighbor takes a breath turns around goes inside the tardis like kind of close the door she looks around she sees a doctor standing like you know there and she's like who are you and he's like i'm the doctor that's the end and uh then it's like new home, new who, spring 2024. So that was what I was like wondering before. I was like, wait, is, is this going to be on next week? So no, not yet. So this is just another Christmas Day special, which is usually how they do it. But it's not over yet. So then the TARDIS leaves. This other dude you know, sees the TARDIS disappearing. He goes up to Mrs. Flood. He's like, did you see that? He's like, it was just here and it vanished. He's like, what, what's going on? And she's like, oh, Merry Christmas, Abdul. Don't make such a fuss. And he's just like, okay, whatever. And then... Mrs. Fuller looks at the camera and she's like, never seen a TARDIS before? And she winks. So it's like, what the heck did that mean? Because she didn't know who he was, what was going on. And because even before, I think she was complaining, someone was complaining when the TARDIS was like in the middle of the sidewalk when Ruby came home with the groceries. So I don't know what that means. And then, um, so it's over. The credits are going. I actually left it, let it go because usually, you know, I don't watch all the credits always. Uh, but just listening to the music, I just, I really, I let it play out and everything like that. And there's just something about the Doctor Who theme song. It's just, you know, I, I, I almost got like a little emotional or whatever. And, and, you know, maybe it's cause, you know, when, I, I don't know, you know, when I watched it and, you know, and then just thinking back to like, it's like, I've been watching Doctor Who since I've been a kid, you know, it's just been on forever. And it just really kind of brought back some like memories and stuff like that. Just the show has always been there. So so I'm, I'm glad it, it, it's still going. And I don't know. I haven't seen like what people are saying. You know, are people happy, not happy? It's, it's like teaming, they're teaming up with Disney or whatever. But it's, you know, it's Russell T. Davies. And so, so we'll see. I mean, I, this new doctor, we'll see. You know, I'm always a little hesitant in the beginning because, you know, you're always, you're always missing the previous doctor. And even if you didn't like the doctor in the beginning, you know, you, you grow to like them because they they're just usually well written and everything so i think we're off to a good start i, th I think i'll like this doctor you know I'm, I'm all i'm totally you know for giving him a chance every time there's a new doctor i'm always willing to see where they're going to go with it and uh I, th I think we're off to a good start so we have to wait till the spring to see more so so the episode itself i wasn't super crazy about the goblins you know, like the one wearing a, I mean, it is Christmas day, it's Christmas special. You know, you got the one wearing a hat. The fact that they're kind of like pirates and the singing, the singing was, was the worst part. 
you know, we didn't need this whole goblin song and dance thing and then the Doctor and Ruby singing. I can let that go. Hopefully, that's not going to be like a thing happening. So overall, it, it was it was a decent, it was a good episode. Okay, and now it is time for the movie feature, which is Rebel Moon, Part 1, A Child of Fire. I, I feel like that name is just so silly. I, I don't understand why this is part one. I don't understand why we're going to get an extended version of part one. I don't know if that's before part two. It's like, why not just show us that now? I mean, because this is Netflix we're talking about. You know, if, if I, I think I already said this, if they're willing to drop entire series, why can't they drop the entire thing? Maybe part two's not finished. You know, maybe there's post-production still. I get that. But I think there was an interview where Zack Snyder said that, you know, he had the story and that Netflix wanted to, you know, expand it, make it longer. You know, of course, why not create more content? You know, that I, I get that. If they're making this deal or paying, you know, whatever, you know, making a deal with Zack Snyder, it's like, yeah, you want to get as much content out of it as possible. So if you can get two movies, great. But to get regular and extended that just seems silly. Um, we'll get more on that. So I, I went into this with an open mind. You know, I, I love sci-fi and, you know, I, I think there could be some potential. There could be some cool things here. Unfortunately, I, I, I did not enjoy this movie. Let, let me let's just go into it. So it starts off and, and I'm not going to go through the whole movie, but you know, I'm spoiled just like some of the beginning. There's this narration. So this is the whole setup. And and this is kind of like if we if you can see how clearly this was meant to be a Star Wars movie. Yeah, and and it's almost like they didn't even bother changing certain things. So there's this narration at the beginning, and it could have been like the opening scrawl to like the Star Wars movies. So it talks about like a lust for power consumed everything on their planet, you know, glory to the mother world. It seemed, you know, without end, the king and queen were killed. There's whispers of a revolution. A senator used the opportunity to seize power. Hmm. Who could that be? Um, he sent an agent out to crush those who would call themselves rebels. So we have this senator dude going for power. He, Palpatine. He sends an agent out to crush them. Darth Vader or Darth Maul, you know, whatever. So then we see this farm girl working in a field. There's like some space horse. She's tilling the field. So her name's Cora. And uh, so it's farm girl. Hmm. There's like a farm boy, maybe like Luke Skywalker or whatever. Then there's this pub, which could easily be a cantina, right? Um, people are talking about all the stuff, the harvest coming. And someone's like, it's like how they have to have have nookie have to have relations whatever you want to call it to appease the gods or whoever for the harvest and so it's like oh we're edgy now because we're talking about sex and star wars is talking about sex so that's what separates us so then uh the back at home cora talks to her her quote-unquote dad uh because or he he asked her if she's thought about having a more permanent relationship or what because this one guy i forgot who i don't even remember i wasn't even paying attention this one dude is a good man you know uh he could be you know a better partner or something like that and he's like it's the last step to being fully part of the community 
so that right there tells us that she's not from that planet that you know she's that he like brought her and adopted her taken her whatever so she goes on about the idea of love how it was like beaten out of her something like that she's not sure how or it's what she deserves so, so um then later she's out in the fields and there's even like slow motion is you know sprinkling the seeds in the field but then there's this big like warship in the sky core gasps and she drops like the rest of the seeds and there, again more the seeds are falling in slow motion i'm really curious and it, it's it's probably not that much so if, if this movie i think it was like two hours and four minutes let's just say it was like a two-hour movie i'm really curious if you took all the slow motion out, if ran everything at normal speed, how much time does that? And I, mean, I, I joke about it all the time. I was like, oh, the movie reason you know Snyder Cut was four hours because of slow motion. But it's not that much. Yeah, I'm I'm totally exaggerating. I know that. And with this, if you took out the slow motion, what would it at a few minutes at most five minutes? I don't know. I just. And, and, you know, I, I think I mentioned it. I saw this, like, thing on, I think it was on Instagram. It was supposed to be, like, for one of those, like, master class things or something like that. And Zack Snyder was talking about, like, how you can make a movie. I don't remember if I talked about this a lot on podcasts before. Because uh, it was just fairly recently. He's talking about how you can make, a, like, a movie on an iPhone look, like, cinema quality. And he's talking about, like, different things you can do. And I think, like, one thing he's talking about, like, putting it, like, on a like some sort of like rig or something so it's like smoother motion so it looks like when it's panning but then he mentions a sl slow motion he's like when you do that it makes it look more cinematic and everything like that it's like oh my gosh everything does not need to be in slow motion every single one of his movies is just full of slow motion i just think it's it's ridiculous it it does make for cool moments but when you use it every single movie like 20 times in an hour it's just it's too much so there's this big ship and uh you know she runs back home she grabs like this uh big hammer she starts banging on this like gong thing or whatever um because i guess everyone couldn't see the, or hear the big ship above <laughs> and this dude asks like what do you think they want and she's like everything so they go back to the pub they talk about how to deal with them you know but talk about like prosperity partnership whatever and core is like that ship knows nothing of that it's like they subjugate and they enslave so you give them what they want you volunteer nothing so these little ships like fly down from the warship dudes march out the admiral guy who's in charge he talks to the father of the village he says that you know he represents the fallen king he offers like an embrace of i forget what it was then he asked the father tell me about this beautiful village so they they they're like eh, let's walk to the longhouse have a cup of ale so the admiral talks about how they're chasing some outlaws and they've eluded them but you know he's like we have soldiers to feed and he says that they can i think he said he can even pay them triple market value so they can buy like more machinery and robots and stuff like that but the father says that you know um they like to till the fields in their hand because it makes it helps them connect with the gods or or something or with the land or i don't know what it was and uh then he says that the father says that you know he would love to help them if they had the excesses but they don't have much extra and then the admiral he's like he's like okay and he talked about like their complexions look great for eating you know on like barren lands and then uh he finds out like who's in charge of like, the fields or whatever 
because uh, he says that the father is very cautious that they, they always keep extra for reserves and they've been doing pretty well like the past few seasons so they could probably spare uh you know a small amount and then the admiral's confused he the, the father's like he's in no position to talk you know you'd be wise to ignore him so admiral talks about showing you know talking about how you deal with subordinates so he gets his like big like staff from the other one so he goes up to dude he's like i'm gonna show you what i mean and the father's like it's like no no come. he tries like stopping him but then the admiral whacks the father in the head he goes down and this lady like, screams goes up to him and then this other lady like, slashes her with like a lightsaber but it's not a lightsaber or something like that she goes down so then the admiral dude asks the the one dude um i think his name is gunner you know when can he accept uh, expect his harvest and he's like nine weeks so admiral's like i'll be here in 10 and he you know he, he tells him what he wants you know, like how much he, he expects and the guy's like we we can barely produce that we'll starve to death he's like i don't understand what what you want and admiral's like it's simple i want everything so did they leave but they're gonna leave some soldiers behind i guess to keep an eye on them and that and there's this one one private named Eris who seemed to befriend this worker droid jc1435 who's voiced by anthony hopkins apparently they call jc they call him johnny i don't remember them really calling him johnny so much i must have missed that and there's this like other soldier he's this major jerk because there's this like this young girl you know getting water in the buckets and he like calls her over and like drinks some and and it's almost like this because he comments on her like how she looks or something like that it's like this doesn't seem like it doesn't go well so the other villagers are yelling at gunner and they say they just need to show them how valuable they are you know they have to show that they have something that that they can do stuff that others can't so that way you know they, they won't like wipe them out and everything like that cora meanwhile she's like packing her father she's like oh you're leaving already and he talks about when he found her in the wreckage and you know, he thought about leaving her and now you know she's leaving them when they need her most and he's you know what if they could fight and you know what if she could you know find the outlaws that would fight you know alongside them so then we see like the scuzzy soldiers they're talking that that girl sam sam the water girl so you know they're gonna like take her or something like that and aries like stop and cora hears like the screaming and she like looks like side eyes looks at this axe like sitting like in a work thing so the soldiers they they beat up aries when he's Eris when he tries like stopping them and then Cora standing in the door well and she was like stop this dude goes up to her with like a rifle to her head like asks for the axe and then she starts like she's like starts to hand it over but then she grabs a gun she like hits him so she starts taking guys out like with the axe and with, with the gun shooting and it, it's like the guys you know there's two like two guys holding sam and they're just sitting here watching like not doing anything while you know people are, are getting killed getting shot then uh the robot comes in and the guy tells it to kill cora because it like picks up this rifle and it just like stares at it and then basically all this left is like eris because i i think then Cora shot the dude or something like that so they're like all dead basically except for the robot and the, the robot just like leaves i think so then the other villagers come in she's like we're gonna have to fight so Cora's dude then gives her this gun he said he found it in a crash so i think it's like some special gun we find out and, and like through a flashback what it means 
So they're going to have to go look for outlaws. Gunner said he sold some grain to the resistance or something like that. And he said he could probably still find them. So then she's like, well, you're coming with. He's like, well, yeah, of course I'll go. So Cora and Gunner leave. So then he like asked her, you know, if she was a soldier before. I thought she arrived, you know, when her father found her records when she was like a little kid, but apparently not. So she tells them, you know, when they first came to her world, she was only nine. Uh, you know, they didn't ask for anything. Uh, they, you know, they relished the art of combat. There's this young general named Belisarus. He found, or she found herself, you know, she's like trying to hide and everything. You know, people are getting killed in this in this, the streets and everything like that. But she found herself face to face with him. She picked up a gun, which is, I think, the one that she had. And uh, she's like holding at him. He like goes closer. He like cocks it and puts it under his chin. She screams and pulls a trigger but didn't go off so i don't know if it just was out of ammo or something like that and he maybe he knew that or maybe he's just like so crazy and reckless she's like you know he killed her entire family but then he took her with him and you know she didn't know why you know he must have seen something in her so she was educated and like all the whatever fine things she rose in the ranks she became just soldier she was expected to fight for the, the mother world or whatever and at one point, they're encouraged to find a lover again. I, I, what was the point of that? But then her lover dies in combat, like in her arms. She's still fighting. Then at 18, she was made an officer and given a command. So, so there's like slow motion, like laser fighting and explosions. I, I just don't think laser shooting should be in slow motion. That just seems like it defeats the purpose, whatever. So then um, Cora and... Uh, gunner go into his cantina or i guess it's another bar or whatever and the guy they're they're look they're supposed to be meeting he gets taken away some some bounty hunters so they go into the bar they're, they're looking she calls out or like if anyone can help her or something like that there's another fight slow motion fight in bar everyone's everyone's a horrible shot everyone's lousy no one is getting hit like even course she's like shooting at people missing them completely it's like everyone sucks uh, and, and I don't know, maybe because it keeps switching to slow motion, so everyone's able to dodge the laser. I, I don't know what's going on. And then um, at one point, like someone's like about to shoot her in, from behind, and this dude with like a man, little, little tiny man bun, Charlie Hunnam, he like saves her, and it, of course he has a ship and he takes them off planet. So it's just, it, and it kind of goes from there. So they're gonna go look for some other people, and. As I'm watching this, you know, when, when one thing, part of me would appreciate, because I, I wish they did this, they don't always do this in Star Wars, but when they arrive at a different planet or location, they give the name of where they're at. But as I'm watching this, I, I really don't care what planet they're on, because I'm not going to know it. On Star Wars, if you go to like Dantooine or you go to, to where, you know, whatever, <laughs> I, I'm drawing a blank. It, you know, at least you could be like, oh, because there's sometimes I was like, wait, is this Coruscant or is this just another big city planet? But it's probably Coruscant. It's, so I, I wish on Star Wars that they gave the name of locations. But here they're doing it. It's like, I, I really don't care. I don't Why do I need to remember this? Is this going to come back if it does? Well, and then um, there's just it, it. And it turns out, you know, so I, I, I go on and on about slow motion, but it turns out there's not just slow motion. There's even slower motion. 
like there's this one part where this dude's like he's on these cliffs he's chased after this this winged creature he's like he then he's going after in slow motion and then when he like jumps off the cliff to try to land on the creature it goes even slower where it's like almost, almost frozen and he's barely moving and i'm just like oh my my goodness and so, like, when when they come across, like, a different person, like, oh, here's someone else that can join our cause, then we get a flashback. What's their story? Uh, Jenna Malone's in this movie. I didn't even realize that she was in here. Her character design was just, like, <laughs> it was a, I, it was kind of silly. I mean, there was, it was kind of okay, maybe not that bad, but I'm just, like, just the whole practicality of it, because there, there's a fight with, with Jenna Malone's character, and someone with like two flaming lightsaber swords and it's just like it just seemed like her design kind of got in the way at times but it did offer some i don't know then uh again so it's like we get these long so it's two a two-hour movie but we get these long drawn-out scenes every time we meet each new person and it, it just it felt like there was really nothing to this this story. It's two hours of being introduced to all these different characters. And and the thing is, some of the characters don't make it. Some of the characters don't survive. So we're 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 finding out their past or story. Why are you we taking this like five minutes, ten minutes or whatever, and then they're just gonna die later. And and maybe it's to make us care about them a little more when they do die. But it's just I, I don't know. But uh, yeah, again, you know, these, these flame swords, they're, they're lightsabers. It's like, it's, the, <laughs> I just don't even know. And and also with, with Korra, there's like so many, it, it's not just flashbacks for other people. We, we keep getting all these flashbacks to Korra. And there's just like more and more about that. And I was just like, I just don't care. And you get this big fight at the end. And of course, there's like a little twist or whatever. And, <sighs> but apparently... The dude that played the big bad guy here, he commented like the the extended version is going to be more hardcore stuff. And because um, there's this one scene with like he's getting these like suction things with these like tentacles or something like that. And I don't know if he's trying to hint that there's going to be something more with the tentacles. And 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 it, it his little quote I saw it from the Hollywood Reporter's Instagram. Where like maybe there's gonna be more explicit stuff, you know? It's 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 gonna be more. I think it's like more hardcore material. So I don't know if it's just a way to like like oh let's let's make this really R rated or something because that's gonna be cool. And and I get maybe if you're trying to separate it more from Star Wars because Star Wars is pretty much like PG. I don't I don't even know if they're PG thirteen, but if you want to do something a little a little edgier to make it cooler, because you know swearing or nudity or sex that makes stuff cooler uh, i don't know and then one thing that that's just again is how ridiculous all this is i feel like i've been talking too much about this um but there's a scene at the end where we see jimmy the robot and again i don't even remember his name being jimmy but like when you see him at the end because at one point uh, early in the movie sam gives him like this little makes a little like uh brace or headband made out of flowers because you know he was really nice and compassionate or he's even for a robot he's like one of the most likable characters but then at the end you see him he has like a, a headband with like antlers 
And it's just like, what the, what the heck is going on? Why does he have these antlers? Just like no reason, no explanation. Like, okay, he's got antlers now. Uh, apparently people have been asking about this and the writer explained that in the upcoming extended cut, there's going to be more scenes like explaining where the crown came from. That like, you know, is him involved with like hunting or whatever, maybe helping the people in the village. But it's like, okay, if you're not going to explain it, why, why the heck are you showing? What is the point of showing him at the end wearing antlers if it's going to make zero sense? Why not include those scenes to begin with? And I, I feel like there's, you know, if, if, are you saying that this movie doesn't tell the story of part one, that there's more? Or are they just going to add more to make it longer, to flesh it out, to make it feel more vibrant? If so, is like is that really necessary? <sighs> That's part one. I just I really did not like this. I just, it, I and I I don't mean to be. I don't want to be like a Zack Snyder's hater. I just felt like this was just very pretentious, just very stuffed. And it was very hollow. Does that make sense? It's stuffed and hollow. Is there's just like there was really nothing to it. And I I think that this is one of my least favorite movies of 2023. Um, I don't know if, if it's the worst one. I'm trying to think. Did, did I like which? Did I like this more or less than None Two? I'm trying to think. What else didn't I like? But I just I felt I don't know. I just felt like there's so much wasted potential. I don't think it needs so much CG. But even like at the beginning when, when Cora's at, at on the farm, it felt so fake, so CG. It was almost like it was like a, a mix between being on a set and just like a CG backdrop. And it's just, I'm just like, what is going on here? <sighs> I, I just don't, I don't know. And like right now, if I'll tell, I'm going to be perfectly honest. When part two comes out, if there's like something, I mean, the only reason I saw this is because I wasn't sure about seeing Ferrari in the theaters. If there was something else out, I, I probably wouldn't have watched this. So when part two comes out, I kind of don't want to watch it. I will for you. If, if you're listening, if you want me to, I, I'll, I'll watch it or try to. But if there's something bigger in the theaters, of course I'm going to see that. Ugh. What did you think of it? But what I think is that it's time for it to end this. I, I feel like I, I think this is as long as I've done, I talked about a movie feature since I kind of went into detail about a lot of it. But I just want to explain what I like, why I didn't like it. Because this is my extended cut of, of the talk of the movie. That's going to be it for this week. So big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Last week I did an off my mind about the way time should be mentioned reference acknowledged in comics or not acknowledged um i'm going to be going back to john burns x-men the hidden years i think i only have like two more issues left and then after that i don't know um but <laughs> i'm losing my voice i think if you can't commit to a monthly commitment you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck 
and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. That's ko-fi.com slash gman for Mac. What is next week? Uh, next week's movie feature, I believe it's Night Swim. Is that what it's called? Uh, I saw the trailer once. It's, I think, I think it's a Blumhouse movie. Um, it looks looks a little freaky. I'm, I'm really not sure. I hope it's good. Um, you know, there, there's a potential there. We'll see. Um, and then, as far as TV, so what, what do we have? Then we just have Monarch and Percy Jackson. I don't know if maybe then I, I like I I still want to watch Reacher, but I just feel like it's too late. Maybe I just watch that for myself at some point. I, I really don't know if anyone wants to hear about that, or maybe I don't know if something else will pop up. I didn't do any What If. I didn't even mention that. I could maybe watch a few of those and maybe just maybe I don't know. We'll see. I'll figure something out. But. Um, I hope you're doing well. Like again, happy new year. And, uh, I can't believe we're in 2024 now, right. As we're listening to this, as you're listening to this, I hope you're doing well. Um, I hope you're have a lot to look forward to. I hope this is an awesome year for you. I hope you remember to take care of yourself. I hope you make sure to take care of others and I hope you remember be good to each other. 